Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Thursday, April 27th. It is the traveling road show today. I'm somewhere on the West Coast staring at the ocean today. Still working this morning. We are here live. It is a free-for-all. Jump in right now and join us. Phone lines are open. 855 855- Nine five zero three eight three five. I'm on a uh, a new mobile setup that I'm testing this week as well. So I, we're probably going to be doing a lot of these shorter trips. Now this one's going to be at, um, at least a week, but I'll uh, taking a long weekend. So no show tomorrow, no show Monday. I'll be back on Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday may be my last day of the show from the road, and then we'll be back. So. Um, two days off from the show. Rest of the time we're here, we are testing some mobile technology. So far, uh, it was a little wonky setting up this morning. I had a couple, uh, couple of moments of panic. Thought I might not be able to pull this off, and then uh, it all came together. So, looks like we're here. Everything seems to sound good right now. Looks like we do have some calls coming in. Go ahead and jump in and join us. It is a free-for-all. No guests today, no theme. Totally up to you, 855-950-3835. I guess I do have kind of a theme I want to talk about. I won't spend a lot of time on it. Um, If calls start coming in, we'll get to them. Kind of has to do with the um, what's going on with Tucker Carlson and censorship and everything else that's going on, you know, I've been watching Tucker for a lot of years. Um, I like a lot of what he does. I think he's one of the hardest working journalists, really. Um, all of his documentaries, his uh, the extra shows that he does, I tend to agree with most of his positions, and he was considered probably the most controversial uh, mainstream host. And yet I didn't really see this coming. Um, I don't know. I guess when you, when you, you think when you get to number one, you might be, have some sort of protection, but I guess not. There's a lot of speculation on why, and I'm not sure that we'll ever know why. I'm not sure that Tucker will ever know why. And just like always in the media, you never get a chance to talk about it on the air. They, it, this happens when you get off the air and you will never go back on the air to ever talk about it or explain it unless you go back on the air somewhere else. Uh, and Tucker will be back somewhere. Uh, I posted a short video that he did last night, uh, two and a half minutes or so, where he talks about the truth That's kind of the theme of the two and a half minutes. He just talks about the truth. And then at the end, he says, I'll see you soon. I've also, he posted some tweets with Alex Jones. I I need to go do some more research about Alex Jones. I, I honestly, I know almost nothing about him other than all the headlines I always see about he claims Sandy Hook didn't really happen. That's him, right? I think. Um, which, I, I don't know, that seems a little odd on the surface, but I, I'm not going to 
really make any judgment till I go do some more research. So my impression of Alex Jones, and I like I, like I said, I know almost nothing about him. My impression, though, is he's, he's pretty far out there with some of his theories. I'll go do some reading and figure it out. But that uh, that may be an interesting clue as to where he's going. Um, he Whatever he does right now, tweets, videos, whatever they might be, they all have meaning. He's not going to randomly post a picture of himself with somebody because he ran into them. Everything he posts right now is going to have meaning. So the fact that not only did he post with Alex Jones, the very next tweet and post was with Alex Jones' wife. So there's something going on there. I'm going to go figure out what Alex Jones is all about. But this idea of truth. Um, we posted something the other day. I want to get back to this. Uh, where is this? Uh, where did I lose it? I just had it here a second ago. Oh, there it is. Um, I had this idea and I, I made this list and then I gave it to Lisa and she made this awesome graphic. You got to go look at this. Um, that on the top it says they lied about. And then I started a list of all the things they've lied about. And it, we could argue whether or not they lied or they just didn't know. And the more I look at it, the more I think they lied. Maybe at some point they didn't know, but then when they knew, they continued the lie. So here's the list. Tobacco. Mercury. Opioids, aluminum, talcum, sweeteners, saturated fats, GMOs, raw milk, cholesterol, fluoride, and glyphosate. And here we go. I, you know, I made this list and I can't believe I forgot one. I could throw in seed oils. That's another huge lie. They still continue to lie that today the heart association still gives out that well they don't give it out they charge a fortune for it and there's the answer right there follow the money if you have a product with a toxic seed oil and no animal fats you get the heart healthy seal they're still lying about that so we have to redo this whole list now I have to go back. Uh, and I'm sure we could find more. You know, I've been talking about this kind of stuff for a long time. The last several years, it's really been a big topic. And yet, I don't know. Yet when I look at this list right now, I think, what are we thinking? Why would we believe anything our government tells us? Anything. Really, when this is their track record, when you look at it like this, how did they not know? Do we really believe that, 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 that we could just say, well, they just didn't know? Tobacco. Come on. Did we ever think that it would be good to burn vegetable matter and inhale it into our lungs. Did we ever think that that would be a good thing? And then to do that over and over and over and over hundreds or thousands of times and, and 
not expect that that might do something. And yet we used to have TV, we used to have commercials with doctors talking about Camel being the best cigarette. Doctors talked about health benefits of cigarettes. Did we really think putting a heavy metal like mercury into our teeth was a good idea? So is it really excusable to say we didn't know? I don't, I'm not sure that it is. We should have known. And I think we probably did know. Well, here's one. Number three on the list, we absolutely knew. We knew for a long, long time that opioids were horribly addictive. The first opioid, opium, if you, if you, that's where the word comes from, opioids. Well, technically, the word opioid is, is a grouping of both natural opium derivatives and synthetic opioid drugs that we've created. That's what the, the term opioid covers, both natural and synthetic. The original was opium. We had problems with opium in the 1800s, the Chinese opium dens, and then they imported it or exported it over to us, and we had a huge problem in the early 1900s with opium dens in this country. We, we knew, we absolutely knew how addictive these were up until... When did this start? I think it was like 1996 when Purdue Pharma brought out OxyContin. I think I've got the year right. And doctors would not prescribe opioids. They, they just wouldn't. They were reserved for end-of-life, mostly cancer patients. And even then, I, I remember this. I went through this with my mother in... Uh, would have been 1980, late 80s. And she was dying of cancer and they gave her methadone. So yes, it was an opioid for pain, but methadone doesn't create the same kind of cravings. That's why they use methadone to help people get off of heroin. It's like Suboxone, same thing. They are opioids, but they don't have, they don't create the high they don't create the euphoria, but they will block the pain. It's kind of like the difference between cannabis and hemp. They don't have the, the uh, euphoria factor. The, the, uh, they, don't, they won't get you high. So we knew that. So even for cancer patients, when they did use opioid-based products, many times it was methadone. But the idea was, if somebody's at the end of their life and they're in so much pain, who cares if they get hooked on this? You're going to keep it on them, keep them on it until they die anyway. So we, the opioids was absolutely a lie right from the start. There was a huge campaign to, to convince doctors that opioids were not addictive. Now, we could blame that all on Purdue Pharma, except... It's the FDA that is supposed to stop things from like that from happening. So the FDA fell down on that one and lied. Uh, aluminum in um, things like deodorant and vaccines and um, 
all of the aluminum we use around our food and packaging and cooking, and uh, that was a bad idea, still is a bad idea, and yet we still use aluminum all the time. People use it every day. You shouldn't. You should look around and really get aluminum out of your life wherever you can. I've done enough screening of uh, heavy metal testing on humans to know that every test I've ever seen, including my own, came back extremely high in aluminum. Uh, Aluminum causes all kinds of weird health issues. Uh, This is one of the, you know, um, when we refer people out to uh, Dr. Wolfson, there's a couple reasons. One, he does a lot more um, blood testing, heavy metal testing, mold testing, some of those weird kind of background issues that um, just a lot more specialized. But this is this is one we've identified. Um, talcum, unbelievable products like Johnson's baby powder and shower to shower and and these products they turned out to cause cancer but it's it's not because talcum caused it it's because these products were contaminated with um, asbestos now we know how horrendous asbestos is and yet it was somehow allowed to be in these products and i think it was a contaminant but Um, where's the FDA again? They're supposed to be there to make sure this kind of stuff doesn't happen. Well, here we go. And here's another one. It just continues to lie. And we know they're lying. All of the artificial sweeteners, the the FDA again, they're toxic. We know they're toxic. We know we've known they've been toxic forever. Um, I, I, I could go through every one of these. I'm not going to, I think we've got calls starting to come in. Um, You can go check this out. Uh, I'll just go through it real quick again. Saturated fats, GMOs, raw milk, cholesterol, fluoride, glyphosate. I'm going to add seed oils to this list. Oh, here's something fun we can do today. Um, I'll challenge everybody else. Give me something else the government lies to us about. And then my point in all this is, Again, I think Tucker Carlson's a pretty, um, pretty intelligent guy. I think he's a very intelligent guy. Um, would I say I agree with everything? I kind of doubt it. Uh, I'm trying to think of something maybe I disagree with him on, but there aren't that many. Um, I get the feeling that his thoughts about Trump are pretty similar to mine, or mine are pretty similar to him either way. Um, I don't think he likes him as a person. I think he'd rather see a another good candidate. But if it came down to voting for him, um, I, I, I think I've made up my mind this time. I won't vote for him in the primaries. I'll vote for whoever I think is the best candidate. If he wins in the primaries, I will vote for him in the general election this time. Uh, I haven't the last two times. I've been very transparent about my feelings and how I vote, but that I, I've changed my mind this time. Uh, in the primaries, I'll, I'll pick who I think the best candidate is. Um, when it comes to the election, if Trump's on the ticket, I'll vote for him. So if, uh, if I think that 
Tucker Carlson is this intelligent, and I really do, and I agree with most of his positions, and I really do. Um, If it turns out that wherever he lands, if he really starts pushing stuff even further to the right, like some of the, maybe this Alex Jones stuff, I'm not sure what I'll do. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll listen to what he has to say, and I'll do some more digging and some more some more research and and who knows maybe maybe some of the the really really out there stuff is also going to turn out to be true the patterns are uh, are certainly starting to shape up that way um the other thing i'm keeping an eye on what the hell's going on in sudan sudan why are we talking about sudan and here's what i here's what bothered me the headline i saw this morning that i guess there's a lot of civil unrest going on in sudan i guess a couple of americans have died i think two i saw on one headline um we have a lot of citizens over there and government employees and the headline i read was um the rest of the world is getting their citizens out of sudan except us we are claiming it's too dangerous you know yesterday we were talking about a lack of testosterone in this country and and it is really serious too dangerous for the united states military that that those words should never be uttered we dominated the planet. We have always, since, since, we've, since World War II, we've become the world's police. Not that I like that. I don't think we should be the world's police. I don't think we should be stationing troops in most parts of the world and leaving them there the way we've done it. I don't believe we should get into every skirmish in every little country around the world. But if we're going to be in these places and we will always have embassies, then we damn well better be able to protect the people we have there. I am just shocked and appalled and disgusted that we would say it's too dangerous. Again, we should never say that. There should be no place on this planet that it is too dangerous for the United States military to go in and get our people out. And every one of those soldiers knows that they may give their life doing that. Yes, we may lose soldiers. That's how it works. That's why it's a, it, it's supposed to be a sacrifice to serve your country. You're supposed to take that risk that you may die. You may die to save another U.S. citizen getting them out of a hot zone like this. That's the point. That's why we call it serving. But then when we have leaders who say, I'm sorry, it's too dangerous. (sighs) It's the whole woke thing. It's got to end. All right, I'm going to get some phone calls before I, uh, I should not go off on rants like that. I'm on vacation. Let's have, uh, let's have a little fun or not. Let's uh, let's go to the phones. We're going to get started in Mississippi today. Mark, welcome to the program. I just canceled my vacation to the Sudan, so there's that. Well, there you um, go. So, 
Yeah, exactly. Well, why would you go there? Anyway, uh, uh, did you see like yesterday evening? I finished uh, at the Laurel, finished working. I opened up Twitter and looked at it. First thing I saw, Carrie Lee's out there. We should just cancel the primary. Cancel the primary and just anoint Trump. Let's go with that. We don't need to have a primary. Like, I think she's insane. Uh, then uh, you were talking about Alex Jones. Last weekend, I hadn't listened to Mercola in a while, so I pulled up his iTunes podcast, looked in there. There's an interview with Alex Jones of a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, that sounds interesting. So I listened to it. I suggest you listen to it. It's about an hour. And Mercola goes through it and asking questions I've never heard him ask before. And it's really interesting and it's enlightening. enlightening. So I'm not going to ruin it for you by trying to spread a story a third third level. By yeah, my no. word of mouth, just, you get, just, just spend an hour listening to it. Well, thanks for the uh, recommendations. That's a good place for me to start because I'm so familiar with yeah. Dr. Mercola. That's a great place for me to start. Like I said, I, I, I've, yeah, because, I've, I've seen yeah. the name. I know who he is. I know he's a big part of that whole Sandy Hook conspiracy thing. And other than that, I have just kind of ignored it. I, I just, I have no idea. I've never watched a podcast. I've never well, read, he, read anything he, he's written. He's got a book coming out in a couple of months. And he, uh, one of the things he was talking about in there, which I'd never heard him say, and I'm kind of like listening to him every once in a while or whatever, was how he came to his ideas about what's going on in the world. And basically, he said he he would go to the, the you know University of Texas Library because he's from Austin, and he would read and he just read everything and he would read these academic papers about what these academics would say. Well, now and he would he would tell everybody and they're like, oh, you're crazy. That's a conspiracy or whatever. Well, I don't know it's what they believe, and well, here they are right now happening. And that's where he got everything that he believes. That that's what he says. What he told Mercola. And I've never heard him say that. It was just by reading these these papers and these journals of these academics, because they're the ones that sit there and write about all this. But years ago, I mean, they were like they were under for population control back in the '60s, and people were like, "Oh, that's that's crazy." Now here we got Bill Gates and all the you know Klaus Schwab and all of that, and you know they're talking about you know population control. Uh, yeah, well, he, I originally, you know, I, 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 yeah, I was going to jump in and say when I first came across Dr. Mercola and started looking at some of the things he was pushing hard about, they seemed like crazy conspiracy theories, and it was way out there, and 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 yet every single issue, every one that Dr. Mercola has brought up about healthy has been completely correct about. Everything from vaccines to fluoride to vitamin D and sunshine and every single issue that he was called a whack job, a right-wing conspiracy theory, the, the biggest spreader of misinformation in the country. And he's been absolutely correct about every one of them. Uh, yeah, you were talking about uh, detoxing and all of that. Uh, Dr. Daniel Pompa has a lot of good information. He's big on that. I, I'm sure you know who he is. Yeah. Uh, I would, that, he, he might be somebody you'd get on your show and talk to. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I originally called in about other things that you talked about a week ago and I couldn't call in. Uh, one of the things was, 
before I got into owning my own company and, you know, hauling cars and whatnot, I, uh, I had to raise kids because I had a crazy ex-wife that was non-existent. <laughs> so one of the, one of the jobs I had, I, I worked for Amerigas in the office. It was like an office space job. I mean, you know, you read that email, oh, I'll send it to you again. Yeah. Um, well, after I got out of that, I got into a company. Uh, they're no longer, uh, they were a third generation owned company, McKenzie Tank Lines out of Tallahassee. I was their safety guy in the Houston area. And you talk about, they had, all those drivers have been there would talk about how the old man knew what he was doing, the kids don't know anything. And, and the kids just ran it into the ground, third generation. And in the middle of that, I was like, I'm not paying you, you're not paying me enough or whatever. So I went to work for two weeks. I quit. Went to work for Schwerman. I can't even pronounce it. They're out of Milwaukee. It's a tank company. Well, they're oldest tank company. And they're third generation on. And it was absolutely horrible. I lasted two weeks. And I called McKenzie. I said, they called the president. I said, can I come back? I made a mistake. Yeah, yeah, you can come back. Well, they were getting me for cheap. So they let me come back. But that's two companies. So they're still in business. Schwerman is. But McKenzie ended up selling to another third generation company. They sold out to Grondike. Oh, yeah. Which a buddy of mine worked for them. And that's another company that's been like, yep. These third generation, they get a hold. They get a hold of the. It's, it's like they don't know what it took to it's to make such, it. And it's such a common pattern. You know, I think what happens with the second now sometimes it's the second generation that wipes it out, and and I'll tell you when that happens. If the first generation was successful early enough. You know, you get some of these 20-somethings that, that, you know, hit it out of the park and they're, you know, multimillionaires before they're 30, then the second generation is going to ruin it. But what normally happens is the first generation, while they're struggling to build that company, has their first generation of children. They are part of the struggle and they see what it takes and they usually do a pretty decent job. It, but then by the time the third generation is born, the money's there, it's successful. We spoil our kids because we, it just feels like the right thing to do. We want to, and it's bad for them. And we have to fight against that, that urge to spoil them and give them everything we didn't have. And if we don't fight that urge, this is what happens. The third generation is so entitled, they don't understand the struggle and they will destroy the company. Now, having said this so many times and given so many examples, I want to give the exception to the rule. Uh, story I'm very familiar with. I love this story. Um, I think I, gotta, I, I should write this down somewhere. I don't know why I always have a hard time remembering this. I believe the original trucking company was Cherokee, I think. I'm sure it was one that had a Native American name. Um, Anyway, first generation, the grandfather, um, starts the trucking company, grows it. Second generation, the father takes it over, grows it even more. Third generation, three sons did a fantastic job with it. Now, they grew up after the success. When they were growing up, there was lots of money. I mean, it was a family-run company. It grew. There was, they, they grew up in wealth. But these three were not entitled at all. Um, I know the family well. It's just an amazing family. 
uh, and these three were raised right. They were working in that trucking company from the time they could walk. I've, they've told stories about breaking down tires and lubing trucks and moving freight on the dock, and they were required to do every job in that company. Um, they took it over. It was so successful. They got a big offer. They sold it. Um, they now run ATBS. That's the Amons um, that run ATBS. Um, great family, great company, and they are the exception to the rule. The third generation uh, was even more successful than the first two. Well, uh, the, the, the guy that was running the pipelines when, when I was there, he was grandson. They sent him to school from Tallahassee to Dallas. He stayed there through. Uh oh. Mark, we're losing you. I think we may have lost you. You know what I'm going to do? I'll put you back in the queue for a second, see if maybe we can save that line. And uh, we'll go to Iowa. Brandy, welcome to the program. Thanks, Kevin. So um, I don't know about you, but as far as uh, the Tucker gone, I have a lot of suspicion about the hosts that are there now. Are they not able to say what they want to say? And I say that because on the day that he was gone, you know, they made a small little blurb about it. And but when I was listening to Laura Ingram, I never know Laura Ingram to be animated like Tucker is. And it's, it's almost like it didn't feel right. And now anytime I listen to Fox, so, I have that suspicion that they're censored. So and, I, have, and I can't listen to it. We have to separate two things because you had mentioned the fact that they don't talk about Tucker leaving. That's a separate issue. That's how media works. Like I mentioned earlier, any media personality will never be told their show is over and then allowed to go back on the air. That never, ever happens. And that's, that was the case here. Tucker signed off on Friday. So he said, I'll see you on Monday. And then we didn't see him on Monday. So he did not know it was coming. He may, there may have been stuff going on in the background and he may have been suspicious, but he did not know it was coming. Same with me. I mean, I made the comment on the air. The decision was made before my show was over that day that I was done. I was told after the show I was done, and there's no way I was ever going back on the air. And if you listen to any other shows on the channel, were they allowed to talk about it? No. If somebody calls and asks, they get hung up on. That's just how media works. So separate that out. I will promise you they are being censored about Tucker. They are not allowed to comment on this. So they are absolutely being censored on that. But we know that, that that always happens in media. Now, are they being censored on other topics? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And Tucker was the one that pushed those boundaries the most. And we see what happened. You know, he pushed the January 6th thing the most. He pushed the Dominion voting pretty hard. Although so did Ingram and, um, oh, you just mentioned his name. Hannity. Hannity, yeah. Both of those two did. Um, Tucker pushed the big pharma thing less than a week before. 
I I almost wonder if that isn't the real issue here. Yeah, and then also Donald Trump, he won't have a whole lot of uh, places to uh, make himself known. Yeah, so yeah. And, so uh, it it there it, there's no doubt that that everybody is censored in in mainstream media. So that's why it's going to be interesting now. We, we've seen people like um, I, I, somebody I had almost forgotten about. We were in the car yesterday, and Lisa was looking for something to listen to, and she found Megyn Kelly. She used to be on Fox. I, my God, oh, I, I love her. I haven't thought about Megyn Kelly in years. Um, and then you think about Bill O'Reilly and um, uh, Glenn Beck and, uh, you know, all of these conservative hosts that were all canceled. They were taken off their big platform. And, and here's the difference. You know, you can say the left wing gets rid of their people too because Don Lemon's gone, but here's the big difference. If you're a conservative talk show host or commentator of some kind, you get canceled when you get too big. The left, it's the opposite. You get canceled when you should. You get canceled because you suck and your audience is too small and you don't bring in enough ad revenue. That's when you get canceled on the left, and you should. That's the way it works. But on the right, it's the opposite. You get too big, too popular. That's when you're likely to get canceled. Yeah. It just feels like there's this huge hole at you 7 know, o'clock I, Central Time. I, 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 what do you watch? I, I, I'm in no way trying to compare myself to the people I was just talking about, but we could say the same thing. When I started at XM, I was the new guy with no experience, and they stuck me on the weekends. Then when I did a pretty decent job on the weekends, they gave me midnights. And after 10 years, I got moved to a primetime slot, and then guess what happened? I got canceled. Yeah. Well, I I just feel that... A lot of people probably feel a lot like I do. It's like, how do you listen to anything that those hosts are going to say now? And just got that. What are they not telling you now? What are they not saying? It, it, you know, it's it, like I said, it's like when I go through that list of all the things we absolutely know they lied about and at least half the list or more they continue to lie about. It, I, I don't know why we believe anything they say. It's almost like we we really are going to have to tear the damn system down and start over. Yeah. Well, that's all I wanted to say. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's uh, continue on here. We're going to head off to Illinois. Pete, welcome to the program. Uh, Am I up? You are. What's on your mind today? Hey, Kevin, uh, I want to throw something at you. Uh, I'm sitting on the couch today and, uh, I'm leased onto a carrier and, you know, um, lately, uh, what they've done is they've hired on a a bunch more owner operators. And so that's saturated our load board. So now every other day I sit here and I have no load. Um, so I, I want to explore some things with you to see if you can give me some ideas. I've got another truck that just sits around. Um, What is it like legally for me to use that truck? Um, 
you know, on the days when I'm not working with this other company, you know what I mean? Uh, how can I well, make that truck? How are work you going me? to use it is what you have to figure out. What I mean by that is if you are going to lease to another carrier, that's going to be a problem. And I, okay. I, I'm not even sure I completely understand this. We, so we have to go all the way back to when there were regulations, when we had financial regulations in the trucking industry. So prior to 1980, basically, um, we used to do something called trip leasing. So the way... Are, are you familiar with the way authority worked back then prior to 1980? No. Okay. No. So I'll explain it. And even if you were, I'd explain it for everybody else. So this is how crazy the trucking industry was back then. You know, we talk about going and getting authority, right? And, and it's just something we do, but nobody really understands. And this is why I say this authority thing should go away. It should have gone away back in the 1980s. I don't know why they continued this. But prior to 1980, the reason you had to go to the federal government to get authority to be a trucking company was the federal government controlled who could be a trucking company. And the idea was if we wanted to build these national trucking companies that were capable of moving freight all around the country, the thought was you can't allow too much competition or they will all fail. It's too expensive to get started and we need to protect these companies. So we're going to let a limited number of trucking companies in the market. We'll let them become successful. And then in order for a new trucking company to exist, to have authority, the shippers had you had to go to shippers and get letters from them to say we need more trucks and it got even more specific than that it was in lanes we need more trucks between columbus ohio and atlanta georgia and if you could convince the government that enough shippers needed more trucks then they might give you the authority or they would just say no you can't become a trucking company Imagine that. Imagine if, if, if you wanted to start a sandwich shop and the government said, no, there's too many sandwich shops already. It, that's, right. that's basically socialism, but we allowed it in this case. The utilities were the same way, the electric and gas and phone companies, the airlines, the rail wasn't, I don't believe. But so, and, and again, whether the idea was right or not, we did it. But at some point we said, this is not a free market. These, these businesses are now stable, so we deregulated them, which I think was a wonderful idea. So what, what would happen back then is you would, because you couldn't go get authority, you would lease to a carrier that had authority. That's how this whole thing started, this whole leasing to somebody. Then if that carrier that you leased to gave you a load from Cleveland to Atlanta, Georgia, like we just said, because they had authority. Well, now you're in Atlanta, and if you want to get back to Cleveland, guess what? That trucking company might not have authority on the same lane, but in the opposite direction. So what you would do is you would just trip lease that day 
to a carrier who did have that authority. And we used to carry magnetic signs in our trucks and we'd slap a new magnetic sign up there on who we were leased to. So that's what a trip lease was. It was just a temporary lease to somebody that had that authority. For some reason, we can't do that anymore. And I've asked the question, why not? Why can't we still do that? And I've been told it has something to do with insurance is the best answer I've ever gotten. But I've never had anybody explain to me why, if my carrier is slow, why I can't just trip lease to another carrier like we used to. Because we, we did trip leases after all of this change, too. Prior to deregulation, you trip leased. After deregulation, we still trip leased. I was trip leasing in the 90s. And I, I don't remember why it went away. So that's, that was a long answer to one of the problems you're going to face is if that truck is leased to someone, you have to cancel that lease and sign a lease with somebody else. And then the next day, if you wanted to pull a load for somebody else, you'd have to do it again. And, and most trucking companies don't want to go through this. So now what are the well, other I, options I, to put a truck, you know, to work without that? Um, one, well, I don't, know if I, I, oh, go ahead. I don't know if I explained it or not, but, but I have one truck leased onto this company. They've got their ELD equipment, you know, installed. And so it's not really that truck that I want to use somewhere right. else. I have another truck. Right. That's what I'm trying to get to. It's not that, leased to anybody, right? It's just sitting there. Right. So in order to move freight, I'm giving you the options on what you could do. You could lease it to somebody, but then uh-huh. that if that company slows down, now you've got another truck and a driver sitting. Now, are you going to drive this truck? I would want to use, I would want to use both trucks. You know, if I don't have work one day with this company, I want to be able to hop into my other truck okay. and find work. Okay, fine. So, so I, I don't want to hire a driver. It's just for that, me. That's fine. But so here's the risk. You lease it onto another carrier and then they slow down. And now you're right back in the same position. So I'm trying to help us look beyond that and figure out what we can do. So that doesn't happen. Um, one option is to go get your own authority. Obviously, I don't think we want to mess with that. It's an expense. It's a lot more work. There's all kinds of things going on there. Um, you could try to find a private carrier, somebody that ships their own products and and maybe find some work for it like that. But then, you know, they may want that truck full time. Is it a good enough deal? Who knows? That's another option. Here's the simplest option. Um, but it's, would require the most time from you to try to go find the work. You could simply haul exempt commodities that you don't need authority for, but you're probably in this case. Now you're going to most likely need another trailer type. So exempt commodities tend to be raw materials, um, sand and gravel, all the aggregate stuff is all exempt. You don't have to have authority to move that stuff. Um, agricultural oh, products, the raw, basic agricultural products that come off of farms, we don't need authority to move that. A lot of food products, 
can be moved without authority. You'd have to go get the list of exempt commodities and what that means. Uh See, and this is my point. In trucking, when I say, why do we have this authority crap anymore? Because deregulation should have eliminated the entire process of authority. And people push back on me. They're like, well, no, that's how the FMCSA does their safe. Well, so what? Every industry has safety. We don't have this authority. We might have had those two tied together. Separate them. But so the answers I always get never make any sense to me then we have this whole group of, tra- and then it's all, well, it's safety. We don't need authority to have a safety program. And we exempt all kinds of trucks on the road from needing that authority. My point is, because we've deregulated, every truck should be exempt from having authority. If I want to go pull a load from ABC company down the street, why can't I? If I own a company pressure washing and I go into them and I say, hey, let me pressure wash your building, they can hire me on the spot. I don't need to go get the government's permission. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so exempt. Okay. I didn't know about that. Exempt commodities. Okay. How, where would I find information like that? FMCSA, DOT. You're just going to have to start doing searches. R- remember... When it comes to compliance, I understand the big picture. I understand how authority worked, why we still have all this crap. I argue why we shouldn't have it. But when it comes to compliance, when it gets down to details, I don't know and I don't want to know. I can point you in the right direction. You're going to have to go dig and figure it out. Somewhere out there, though, and somebody will call us or send us a message. Somewhere out there is a list of exempt commodities. Well, that was helpful already. Uh, that's you know going to give me some ideas on on uh, what to explore. Here, here's a, here's another option. So for that extra truck, look up, uh, spend a couple days doing some research on some local brokers in your area, uh-huh. and many of those brokers will also have the authority that they can lease on, just like you would with a carrier. Now, many times, if you lease onto a broker, they don't really care if you work all the time. For them, it's just an extra truck that if they can use it once in a while, they're fine with that. Uh Whereas most carriers, if you sign on, they expect to have the truck available, a driver's assigned to it. They get to use it every day. Um, Landstar is is another option. Mm -hmm. Landstar doesn't require you to run a truck every day. You can just sign it onto them and work it when you want. Yeah, well, I've explored that already. I, I what, from what I hear is that if you lease on to Landstar, you can't be leased on anywhere else. So if if I have my uh, current truck leased I, on to something, I would verify that that is absolutely true. I w- if you're just hearing that at the liar's counter from somebody else, and I don't care if they say they've no. been at Landstar thirty five years. Many, many people Uh. misunderstand things like this. So I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm saying if somebody Uh told me that, I would verify it. Okay. All right. I'll pursue that. I I don't uh, know that that is true. Okay. Well, I'll pursue that too, because I've considered that also. 
Yeah, but you I can, just didn't, you know, realize that you can do that same thing with a lot of brokers. A lot of brokers will lease trucks on, and and many times mm-hmm. they just don't care if that truck works or not. And then if I let's say I'm leased on to another carrier, how how does that work with the ELD? Uh, you, keeping that, track that you, I'm you being you, legit. You've got to figure that out. Most carriers, so as yeah. long as I stay legit. Yeah. And can prove that, then there's no problem with running two, EL, two ELDs? Um, I, so here's where um, my lack of ELD experience. But again, this is a compliance issue, so I, I wouldn't be up on this anyway. Um, I, you're going to have to figure this one out. And some carriers may have policies. I mean, I, I'm trying to yeah. think back. I can remember, you know, when you sign on to a new carrier, they want your last seven days of log sheets or you know, there's different policies mm-hmm. So you're going to run into right. that. Some carriers are going to say, yeah, we can do it, but you've, you've got to do this. Or um, again, th- those are the details you'll, you'll have to figure out as you get down to the nitty gritty on this. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that's, uh, that's great. You've given me some ideas and I, I appreciate it, Kevin. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Herschel, are you there this time? I was here last time, but you wasn't. Yeah, so... Hello? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, I do. Okay, so it's not perfect. I'm actually only getting you on the left channel for some reason, Um, but I'll check with... uh, Let's see. I don't want to be on the left. I want to be on the right. Oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> now we know it's it's the progressives. They're hacking me. That's what's going on That's here. Right, the that, that, that was the clue. It's those damn liberals. The lefties are, are hacking us. Um, all right. Let me right. Uh, let me make sure everybody can hear us. Uh, Angie. Are you hearing both of us now? And does Herschel sound okay? The, Hello, Angie. Angie. Oh, okay. So Angie, Angie. says it sounds good. Uh, we'll go with it. It's a little. It's a little weird. Oh, wait a minute. I just thought of something. You are in. I, oh boy. I, I was looking at the meters wrong, and then it just dawned on me. I am hearing you only in my right ear. So you are on the right side of things. Ah. That's that's a good deal. That's right. That's a good deal. So you know what so, I I um I, I'm I know the listeners are probably you know had enough of technical issues and drops and all that stuff. And it's never going to clear up. It's part of doing stuff across the internet. Uh, but I'm a little tired of it. I, it's and then today, of course, we're we're on a new travel setup. So. But this is just part of what I've got to do. I'm actually pretty encouraged that we've um, we've had a couple of issues and we've been able to overcome them. That's a good sign. That is a very good sign. So what's on your mind today? Well, you were talking here a while back about money market accounts against a traditional passbook savings. Yes. So just for the hell of it, I called my local bank where I have my normal passbook savings that everybody has. Well, not everybody, but anyway. So so I looked on my, first thing I did is I looked on my bank app, you know, where you can do transfers and deposits and everything. Yeah. And 
Right now, my current is like $54,000 in savings, and I looked, and I got $2 interest last month. That won't even buy me a happy meal if I wanted one. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. So so I called them, and I asked about their money market. And they said they do have one. It's a new thing for them because they're really a small country bank. Right. But they do have one. And they just started in February, and the the balance or the balance, the APY, you know, the APR, right. has stayed the same. And it's three point five six percent. Okay. I said okay. So I had them look me up, and I said, "Wow, you do have a pile of money in there." I said, "Yeah." Yes. I said, "Okay, let's hypothetical. Take fifty thousand dollars and extrapolate it out for twelve months." Well, your interest is paid monthly. I said, I know that, but extrapolate it out for a whole year. What kind of earning would it have in an entire year? Right. Because, you know, you go through this all the time with the 2% factoring. Right. So 3.56, extrapolate it out for a year, $50,000, never changed the initial balance, would end up with 1776 growth in interest. Yes. Oh, holy shit. So that right there proves your factoring theory. Yes. If everybody wants to argue about that one. So now it, it let, really does. I was like, wow. Let's take this math and, and the explanation one step further because what you just asked them to do was correct. What you asked them to do was compound the interest. So a lot of times, and this is where they get all screwed up with the factoring, they look at it and say, oh, it's 3.5% of $50,000. No, it's not. It's a totally, it's, right. it's one-twelfth of 3.5% per 30 days, and some accounts can be compounded daily. This is where interest yes. can get very confusing because let me give a simple example. Let's say that we get back to this place where we've got 10% CDs again. I'm drooling, hoping that comes back. Um, if we get to the point where we have 10% CDs and I drop $100,000 into a CD. Now, technically, I, should, I could say, well, I'm going to get $10,000 in interest for the year. Well, that's that's wrong. It's close. It's not a bad estimate, but it's wrong. Because if this is going to be compounded monthly, we now take the 100000 and we take, let's call it 12% instead of 10, because the math is easier. Um, now, for the first month, we take 1% of $100,000, $1,000, and we add it. So now we have... $101,000 in this account. So now in the yes. second month, yes. we now calculate 12% of 101000 not 100000 And now in the third right. month, we're going to calculate interest on a bigger number. That's compound interest. And that's how when I tell somebody we started saving for a child when they were nine years old and we only saved $70 a month and they're going to end up with $7 million. And they do the math and they're like, you're an idiot. They're only going to end up with, the, it's less than a million dollars. And I'm like, no, that's not how this works. 
That's why 125000 to pull a number out of the sky mortgage, you pay three fifty back. Yes. But your percentage is only that, seven exactly. or six right. or whatever it is. That, that's, yes. Yes, right. And, and most people don't understand either concept. They don't understand that they're going to pay that much for their house, and they don't understand why they're, they're not getting you know, savings the way they should. Their savings isn't growing. They don't understand either concept. One works against them. One works for them. Guess which one they do more often? The one that works against them. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So I just thought that was interesting, and I did ask about uh, certificate of depression to steal a line from Dave Ramsey. Yes, a fifteen month one, uh, four point two five right now at my community bank. That's not bad. Although, um, if all you're trying to do is ma- so, there's two options here. One, I I get it. You're being um, loyal to your local bank, and you should. That's a priority, especially a small-town bank. Well, that's where the relationship is. Exactly. Now, I could say if, if, you're, if your mindset was, I just want to maximize return, then I would say, uh, I know right now, Apple, um, I have an Apple credit card, and along with that Apple credit card, they offer me a savings account that right now is paying 45 Oh, okay. And that's a straight savings well, account, so that. no no time limit. I'm not tying up my money. You know, if I drop 100000 into that savings account now and then CDs go up any day I want, I can just take money out of that account and buy CDs. Now, so everybody understands, once you buy a CD, you are locked into that time frame. You know something I found out on Twitter yesterday? I didn't realize this. You know, I always talk about this time when they had these 10% CDs, um, but I was just out of high school. I I didn't understand the details on them. Um, I talked to somebody on Twitter yesterday that works in finance, and he said he couldn't believe it. Into the 90s, he was still working with clients that had bought 20-year CDs at the top. I remember hearing that. I did not know they were selling 20-year CDs at those rates. And he said he's been working with clients that have just been dragging down 10% a year for 20 years. So that's something to keep an eye on this time. If we get up there, keep an eye out for it. And I will, and I'll certainly let everybody know that when the market's going to turn and those rates are going to start going back down again, that's when you go lock in those long-term CDs. Now I'm really excited. Mm -hmm. I was just looking for a way to get a little bit of growth that you could see against getting basically nothing. Right. Because the passbook savings was like 0.005. Wow. Oh, I know. I don't even. horrible. Well, you know, we do our business banking with Chase. And you know me, build relationships. And building relationships means sometimes you give up a little for that relationship. I have many examples of this and people say, oh, I can't believe you're spending that much money on something. You could get it over here so much cheaper. Yeah, I know I could. And it may even be the exact same product, but I I do it 
because that's how you build relationships. They're give and take. If you expect them to treat you like you're something special, then you better treat them that way too. And sometimes that means you, you give up a better deal somewhere. That's why I asked you, which, what, what is your goal? Do you want to be loyal to this relationship? And if you do, that's excellent. But if you don't and you say, no, look, I, I, I do plenty of business with them. Um, I want to go grab this extra that I can get. Uh, and like I said, Apple right now, four and a half percent on a savings account. The only requirement that I know of is that you have this credit card, uh, which is no big deal. I never use mine. Um, kind of nice that I have it and it works really well on my phone. And But I, I probably only used it three times in two years. Um, but I, I am looking at this now. I may move some money into that account. Um, let it start getting that four and a half percent and start watching for CDs. And I might even see, you know, if, if six yeah. month CD rates go up, I might grab a couple of those. Well, I have my uh, IRA set up to automatic draft out of that account monthly. Well, it's set up to is it seven seven thousand a year? I think it is now. Yeah, I don't even seven try seven or seventy five. Yeah, I, I don't even try to. I can't remember. The, yeah. It's like. Five ninety a month or something. If you max it, I'd have to look. I forget. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't so, think you use Butcher Box anymore, but I still do. Right. Yeah, and I don't. I saw something on there the other day that absolutely cracked me up, and I thought of you when I saw it. Now you go on there and they say member deals, and you scroll through and see what they got. Right. <laughs> one of the pro- one of the new products that I saw on there that I've never seen before is some kind of a marinade stuff, I guess. Yeah. But he said it was made with fermented soy. I'm like, oh, yeah, that'll make it better for you. <laughs> well, but, fermented uh, soy. Herschel, believe it or not, that's actually a thing. And it does make it better. Oh, I don't doubt it's a now, thing. It, it actually yeah, make, but does it make it good? Well, in some cases, it does. There are some fermented soy products. Natto is one of them. Um, now, I, I'm going to go back and, cl- you know, clarify that we're still working under some of our old beliefs about all of these compounds in plants that are supposed to be so good for us. You remember, we're, we're, we're shifting our beliefs about plants and, and we're in that transition. It's hard. You know, you look at these things and they go, oh, no, no, look, they're proven this compound in plants prevents cancer and cures cancer. And... <sighs> Yeah, but there's also an awful lot of stuff in plants we know isn't so good. So this is just keep that in mind that we're still framing this. Um, This product, Natto, has, you know, all of these nutritional compounds that should be good for us. So a lot of people who will say don't eat soy will make the exception for fermented soy. Soy was no good, so I don't yeah, want no part of it. Yeah, you absolutely shouldn't. I don't either. I don't eat any of these products. Um, but there is that belief or that theory that there are beneficial effects from fermented soy products. Mm. Wow. And there's a, bu- there's a bunch of products yeah. out there that you wouldn't know it. Like I said, Natto. If you saw Natto in the store, you wouldn't know that was fermented soy. Setane, uh, I'm not even setin. I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing some of these things right. Um, is fermented soy? 
there's another soup or broth that is a fermented soy. I forget what that's called. So actually, there are a lot of fermented soy products on the market. I don't think I'm going to order any. No, and I don't either. Like I said, I don't. And if it's on your sensitivity test, you absolutely shouldn't. But there are people who believe, and even people who think you shouldn't eat grains, shouldn't eat soy, all that stuff, they do make exceptions for fermented soy. So you talk about baby back ribs all the time. They they did have those now at Butcher Box. Okay. I know you're going to say a smoker, but I don't have a smoker. How do you cook a baby back rib? I went ahead and ordered some. Just to so how you cook them? So there's a couple ways you can do this here. If you if you want to get as close to authentic, you know, you know, smoked ribs as possible. Um, you would use a, a, what kind of a grill or outdoor cooker do you, do you have? It's just a, uh, propane fired. Okay. Weber. Actually, actually that's, so here's what we're going to do. Do you, do you know how to cook on indirect heat? Uh, you set it on the shelf outside the grill and shut the lid. <laughs> I don't know. So here's what you're going to do. How how many burners do you have in your propane grill? It has three. It's so, got a bottom rack and a small top rack. So you're only going to turn on one burner. So we're going to turn on, say, the far left burner. We're going to put oh, okay. like some sort of uh, cover on the grill itself over on the right side as far to the right as we can get and it could even be just foil just cover your grill plates with foil you could put down a cast iron or something to block the heat from the bottom so we don't get any heat coming Mm -hmm. up from the bottom or we're blocking it then you're going to take your ribs and you're going to set them over there as far away from that burner as you can get them and then you're going to bring the temperature in the grill somewhere between 195 and 225. And it, okay. it, anywhere in that range is going to be fine. And your ribs are going to be away from the heat and they're going to be unwrapped. They'll be seasoned and unwrapped. So you leave them at that temperature range and they're not near the heat source. They're away from it. But the internal temperature of your grill is somewhere 200, 225 in that range. Three hours. Oh, now you're also, do you know how to use like a smoker box on your grill? Uh, no. So go down to the hardware store, Ace, wherever, um, any place that sells grill stuff, and they'll have a little smoker box, a metal box, and then buy wood chips. So I love mesquite on ribs. It's my favorite. So you can buy a bag of mesquite wood chips. You soak the wood chips for an hour or so in water, or you can soak them in beer or wine or apple cider vinegar, or and you can create a little more flavor in there. But you soak them, you put them in the box, and then you put the metal box on top of your propane or very near to that propane burner, and that's going to create smoke just like you were using wood. 
I'll be damned. So, That's interesting. So now you you can pick out your wood flavors if you want to use cherry or oak or mesquite or pear or apple or whatever you want to use. Um, and now you get your smoke flavor, just like you were using a wood smoker. Um, three hours at that temperature on the smoke. Then they come off the grill and I wrap them in what's called pink butcher paper. And this is important. You can't use foil. Do not use foil. You will not get a good bark on your ribs. They will get soggy. So this pink butcher paper maintains the right temperature, but allows that bark to form. So we wrap it in the pink butcher paper, and then I take them in the house and put them in my oven for one hour at 350. And those are those are competition level ribs. As long as you got a good Interesting. rub. Interesting. I'd have to try that. Now now okay. there's there's one other way. If we didn't have a grill that this would work on or it's you know the middle of winter in Ohio and it's minus twenty, you can do the exact same thing in your oven. They go in your oven at a hundred ninety-five to two twenty-five unwrapped. You've, you've you put your rub on them; they're seasoned. Um, we don't really want to try to use a smoker box inside your oven because you're going to smoke out your house. So what we do in this case is I just have a barbecue sauce that I make myself, and it gets some extra liquid smoke. Hmm. Okay. But you, you can do this entire process right. in your oven. You get really, really nice tender ribs. You can even get a nice bark on them if you use the pink butcher paper. You just don't get the smoke flavor. You don't get the smoke ring. So then I just make up for the smoke flavor in my barbecue sauce. And people are like, oh, it's fake smoke, liquid smoke. It's not fake. It, it Actually, liquid smoke, I like it. It's a pretty cool thing. All they do is they, they smoke water. That, that's what it is. It, it's real smoke that has been, they just smoke water just like we smoke the food. And then the water's reduced down to you get a nice, strong smoke taste out of it. But it was real wood that created all those flavors. Interesting. Okay. Now I got homework when the butcher box comes. There you go. All righty, sir. Have a good one. Thank Talk you. See you later. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Idaho. Robert, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, how are you doing today? So, am I on right now? You are. What's on your mind? Hey, um, so I, I was on keto probably 2017 to uh, 2020, unrelated to the uh, virus of, of uh, unspecified origin, but um, I just fell off okay. the wagon. Got it. I'm getting okay. started back on the road, and um, I'm getting. Hold on a second. I'm in a little bit of traffic. I'm pulling over right now. Um, I'm getting kind of back started trucking and on the road living and all that. Okay. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to get all my resources back that I had before, and I, I seem to remember that there was a, a place that I could find, um, like local farms, you know. Um, I, I remember there's like a, a website with a national database of local farms that I can go to because I'm, I'm just not finding the quality that I'm looking for, you know, just driving around. And, and sometimes, you know, you just want to visit a place like that. I remember finding it and I, for the life of me, I cannot find it anymore. In fact, if you look into YouTube, it's all about uh, farmers trying to get product to farmers markets. It's, it's not about people 
trying to find farms, you know, because I just want to go get some eggs that are fresh that I don't have to keep in the freezer or the, I'm sorry, the fridge. Are you aware of anything like that or? You know, there are a couple lists and I'm just drawing a blank on this right now. I know there's one for raw milk. Weston A. Price um, maintains lists like this, I believe. Um, if you go to the, look up Weston A. Price and there should be a Weston A. Price Foundation. Um, and they may have this. I know they do a lot of stuff with like lists of farms that do raw milk. So that might be a place to start. Um, I, are you a member okay. on HealthyTribe.com? I am. Um, I, I have been listening. Well, was, I've been back home in Alaska. I really haven't been listening as much as I should. And I, I okay. kind of fell off of everything. So, so we have a, I should be on there, though. We have a website. It is $3 a month we charge. And the only reason we charge and why it's so cheap, $3 a month, uh, it just keeps out the trolls. Uh, we had a problem there with right. trolls for a while, and it was just it, it, it makes somebody put in a credit card so we know who they are. We know their name. Um, so yeah, I was um, I was a, a member of it. I think I was on the first month. I remember how it used to be on the Facebook group. Yeah. So yeah, you know what what happens with that. Um, so if you that's a good place to post a question like that. We have a lot of people okay. on there. It, it, the other difference there, if I see that question and it's on healthytribe.com, I have time to go look things up and then post it. When I get a question like this on the air, it's hard for me to just go look it up and then try to tell you what that website is. And so um, that's a, a really good resource for doing that. Okay. And if somebody um, uh, sends I'm... me a message or uh, maybe... Oh, somebody just sent me something Matt did. Uh, so here, oh, and this is, this will be an easy website for you to remember. Um, eatwild.com. Okay. Eatwild.com. Okay. I'll check it out. All right. Uh, um, oh, go ahead. And the only, yeah, I, I only had only one other question. You got me sold on the, the Ninja Foodie. Yeah. And I absolutely love it. Um, I'm trying to get liver in my diet, and I just do not like how it cooks. Well, I only tried beef liver so far. Is there any way I can make, you know, just living out of my truck, I don't have access to Do I have to get a fruit processor in order to get, like, a liver pate in my diet? Or um, Well, liver pate is one way, and you would need a food processor. I, I can make liver pate with, two knives but it's a lot of work um so yeah a food processor yeah. if you wanted to do pate try this on your foodie try to get a thicker cut of liver you know get it get a, a thick okay. nice thick slice of liver if you can get it cut that way or buy a whole liver yourself and slice them yourself i know they're kind of funky to work with but um and and yeah. slice it thick and then try the air fry setting and what you want to do is you want to cook it as hot and fast as you can. The other option you could use um, on the foodie, you can sear in the bottom of the, um, the container. So use the sear set yeah, and let, let it that kind of get soggy. Now, um, no, no, no. here's how you're going to do it. You're going to turn it on sear 
you're going to let it come up to full temperature. Now, you never close the top when you do sear. Okay. So, or if you have to close the top, some of them have to close to activate, but you got to, you can't leave it in there. We want the surface that we're going to cook on to be screaming hot. So we sear the outside, but you want to leave liver rare. Okay. Rare, uh, then you won't get that weird chalky feeling on your tongue, that weird texture when liver's overcooked. If you leave liver rare, it doesn't get that weird texture. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try that. That sounds that sounds pretty good. If not, I'll try the air fryer method. I I think that's what I was doing wrong. Is I was I was cooking it too low, and so I'll, I'll just try it that yeah. way. Then liver is never ever cooked low and slow. It is screaming hot and fast, and we want to kind of sear the outside to get a crust. Um, I will also. Um, I'll spray mine with a little bit of avocado oil. No, actually, the be- let me give you a better method. Um, the night before you're going to cook your liver, put it in buttermilk. Let it soak in buttermilk. When you take it out okay. of the, and that will tenderize it even more, and it will, um, it kind of gets rid of that liver taste a little bit. The, the part of the liver that people go, oh, well, it's not quite that great. Um, the buttermilk will cut some of that liver taste, when you pull it out of the buttermilk, um, just throw it in a bag with some um, arrowroot powder in there. Okay. It's a really, really fine coating. Arrowroot will give you a really, almost like a tempura kind of coating. And then you throw that onto a screaming hot cast iron, or in your case, the sear function in your foodie, and you get kind of a crust on the outside, so you get some texture, and then you can still leave it rare on the inside. Today's turning into a cooking show. I'm kind of liking this. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, you answered all my questions. I'll let you get to the other uh, other uh, listeners. All right. Thank you for the call. Let's head off to Texas this time. Justin, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. I got a couple oil samples for you to look at. All right. Let me go find them here. There they are. Oh, this is... I, oh, I took both wait. Of these oil samples at the same oh, yeah. time and sent them to two different labs. Oh, good. Interesting. Let me, uh, let me take a look at these then. I like when people do that. I used to do this a lot, and... Uh, since I don't do oil samples anymore, I, I every once in a while I'll recommend somebody does this, and I haven't recommended that in a while. I should. So these are both taken at the same time, same mileage, right? Exactly. Okay. So um, uh, I had the high fuel condition prior for the OPS, and I took it to Freightliner, and they ran a Detroit sample and said there's nothing wrong with it; it's fine. So I wanted to do both of them together by myself here. Yeah, I love that. So I'm just looking through a couple things here. All right, let me go look at the other one. Whoa! Whoa! What the hell? You got to be kidding me. So I've talked about this before, but this is the first really good example of this. I, how long have you been listening to the show? Uh, years. So you have had to have heard me say at some point 
the one issue we absolutely know that some labs have trouble with is fuel dilution. Since we've gone to the ultra-low sulfur fuels and the biofuels, these other labs have not updated their equipment, and they can't detect fuel dilution. Oh, let me go check something else out, though. Wait a minute. So what kind of oil was this? 1540? Uh, no, it's a T6. This sample was a, mix- well, this sample was a mixture. It had uh, three gallons of T4 and two gallons of T6. Now, here's something so interesting. Here's something interesting. Um, we go back. Now, I'm going to use the OPS sample because that's the one that's more accurate. We've done this enough times to know. Um, when I go mm-hmm. back, way back to June of 2022, you had 7.4 fuel dilution, but your viscosity was 13.9. Right. We would have, that would have confused me. Had you called me with that, I would have been very confused. Then at one point, you at, you were at, oh, okay. (laughs) Well, see, at least I'm consistent. Um, I knew I would have been confused. Then at one point, your viscosity did drop all the way down to 10.5. Then we would have said, okay, this is finally making sense. The fuel dilution is real. We've now verified it with viscosity. But now we're back to you're still at nine on fuel dilution. And I'm pretty sure I would have said this back then, too. I would have told you you are in danger of this crankcase exploding. Right. Yeah. Anytime we get over 7% fuel dilution, there are cases where the crankcase will explode. So we, we've got to get this figured out. But again, I'm confused because now your viscosity is back up to 12.2. Something else mm-hmm. is occurring that's raising the viscosity because fuel dilution always lowers viscosity. It has to. That's just physics. Right. So if we have fuel dilution and high viscosity, we either have a false reading on the fuel which, which is still a possibility because we have one lab saying there's no fuel dilution. We have one saying it is, and we have viscosity telling us a mixed message. This is very confusing. Um, have you talked to anybody at the lab at, at um, Polaris about this sample? Uh, they called me and was going over the numbers, but uh, I told him that I was waiting on my other sample from Detroit, and he said, okay, well, just wait and see what that does. So had you been able to tell him the other lab sample, he might have said, well, they, they're missing the fuel dilution. But then when we would have said, well, why is the viscosity high here? Um, maybe they have some. I, I'm looking here. I can't see any reason. If soot was really high, that could raise viscosity. If we had coolant in the oil, that could raise viscosity. If silicon had gone too high, but none of those things have occurred. So you have a sample that is just an absolute mystery to me. And, and we, I, I would just have to work with the lab and try to dig in until somebody could explain to me what's going on because I can't figure it out. Okay. So I need to contact OPS or the 
Polaris. Yeah, contact the lab and and have both samples there, and maybe even send you know the other sample in so they can see it in front of them, and and ask them if they can explain why we have crazy high fuel dilution and viscosity isn't showing it, and it did once, and then it's not showing. It's just it's a mystery. I'm totally confused. All right. Okay. All right. Well, I guess I got to get a hold of them then. If if you get a hold of them and, you know, they're able to explain it to you and you're happy with the explanation, call me back and see if you can explain it to me. And if not, and you're still, you want to know, I would be willing to schedule a conference call with you and the lab. Okay. All right. Maybe well, we'll I even. Liner, maybe we'll even if, in, if, it, uh, if it comes down to that. Maybe we'll do it as a conference call on the air. Okay. So give them a call. See see what right. what they can explain, and if they have something, you can call me and explain, and it makes sense. We'll all be happy, and if not, maybe we'll uh, we'll do a conference call with them. Okay. All right. Thanks for the I'll call. All right. We'll look forward to that. It's a mystery. We got to solve it. Let's go to Nebraska. Carl, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Yeah, uh, one of the things I remember back in the day was uh, the whole uh, non-stick being really toxic. Oh, uh, I was wondering, is that still the case with the new stuff? Uh, some of it, yes. There is some new stuff on now. Let me also say this: when we first started using. Oh shoot! What's the what's the surface we use for nonstick Teflon. Teflon? We first started using Teflon. Nobody talked about any issues health wise. We didn't know about PFOAs, or, or I had never seen anything about it. It was years that we were using those products before I ever heard that they were a problem, and they are a problem. So there are some new things on the market. I could claim that we don't know of any problems with them yet. I would have to always put in that qualifier. We may find out someday that, no, they either didn't bother to check or they lied or they misled us or whatever. Um, Granite stone I've seen on the market. Now, the problem with some of these cookwares is they must be junk because they sell them so cheap. But um, granite stone is one. Um, Copper, the copper clad seems to be okay. Um, at some point, I might go dig and see if we are seeing elevated levels of copper from people who cook with this. That's something we might want to watch on that one. Uh, I've used some of the copper. It's actually not a bad surface to cook on. Most of the pans on the market are really cheap, um, which is kind of a problem for me. But those are two options that they claim does not they, that they don't have any health issues. My go-to for nonstick is cast iron. I cook in cast iron almost exclusively. The only thing I use a a alternative nonstick for is eggs. And anymore, I almost always poach my eggs, so that's not an issue anymore either. But if I wanted to make like a fried egg, I have a copper pan that I use uh, because even cast iron, I can't get my cast iron nonstick enough to make eggs work well. Yeah, because uh, currently I'm using that uh, that ceramic pan, which 
I mean, they, they do still stick, but they're not as bad as just plain steel. Ceramic is and fine. Just, yeah, ceramic's fine. The other thing you can do to make these surfaces either cast iron or ceramic more non-stick is use more fat. You know, even an egg, if I have to cook an egg in a cast iron pan, I can do it, but it's going to have, the egg's almost going to be floating on the fat. All right. Thank you, Kevin. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's, uh, let's go to South Carolina. Terrence, welcome to the program. How's it going, Kevin? Good. I, I got a quick thing on the CDs and the uh, the uh, savings account. So when I got that money from my mom, I was like, "Well, I put like a hundred thousand in the savings just so I figure out what I'm going to do with the other part of it." And then I opened up a CD, a nine month CD, and it was like three point nine three for nine months. Okay, which isn't bad, no. but. No. It was, you know, it was to be so, because it's the same bank that let, I, you know. <laughs> let me address that too. Um, at some point, I said, I'm going to start buying CDs. I just happened to, because I had this Apple credit card, they just happened to send me an email and say, hey, since you have this credit card, you can put money in at four and a half. Uh, well, that's a hell of a deal right now. There's nobody's really close to that yet that I've seen. Um, but at some point, if CDs keep going up, I will start buying CDs. I'll buy short term like you did, six or nine months, shorter the better right now. But at I'm going to get stuck too. At some point, I'm going to buy a CD. My money's going to be in it. Rates are going to go up. And I'm going to go, oh, look, I got screwed. At some point, you just got to get in. And at some point, you get in and you're going to buy a CD. And at some point, you're going to look at it and go, well, I could I could be making more right now. That That's just the nature of the beast. Right. If we could figure that out, we'd all be rich. Exactly. But, but um, I, um, like I said, the reason why I did it, because you, you, you said it, and then Matt had called in and mentioned about, like, staggering, like, open up a $10,000 one, right. one month and the next. Right. But the problem with that was the fluctuation of them, you know, I'm like, well, what if all of a sudden it dropped? You know, like, it was a gamble. So I said, listen, I know I'm not going to touch that. I don't need that, that, that 50000 right now. I just plopped it in there. Right. So now when, when January comes, hopefully again, they'll go up. You right. know what I mean? But right. I don't, I obviously don't know that, but I, I have that Apple cartoon. I remember getting that email a while ago right. about, um, about the, the thing. And I just didn't know how it worked. So you actually don't, what do you just, you got to write them a check for whatever. I mean, cause they're not, they're not a freestanding bank. No, right. you'll do some sort or is it of a Barclay Bank. It'll be just some sort of a transfer. Okay. Yeah, I I, I haven't done it yet. Yeah, I, I got the email and I, I've talked about it, but I haven't physically gone to do it yet. But I, I'm sure it's just going to be some kind of bank transfer. I'm just going to say, hey, yeah, move move ten thousand dollars out of this account into your account, and I'll start collecting the interest. Yeah, and the other thing I got too is I'm gonna I'm doing gonna do some renovation on the a bathroom and uh like i got money sitting in my checking account and i'm like well do i put it back into the savings but you know that's not an issue because it's all the same bank but it's i'm getting leery about doing the the renovations because a people don't get back to you 
I mean, I've gone through three different <laughs> oh, places man, to get a, you, yeah. a, a cabin don't, Italian. Don't, like, don't get me started. I live in a place where I am <laughs> so frustrated trying to get work like this done. Anything. Can't get appliances work done. Can't get electrical work done. Can't get plumbing work done. Can't get yard work done. I, I couldn't get a damn fence put in. I, I had, I bet I had three people tell me they'd come out and give me estimates for fences. A couple didn't show up. One showed up, and I'm talking about, it was about 200 feet worth of low, only like three feet high, black wrought iron with one, two gates, two little man gates to walk through. $30,000 was their estimate. I laughed at them. I, I said, come on, just tell me My. you don't want to do the job. I mean, that's all job, this is. Yeah, you, yeah. you just don't want to do it, which is fine. Just tell me that. Don't give me a damn $30,000 for a couple hundred feet of fence. Yeah, we had this one place. We, and, uh, you know, we went, it was a young, younger kid, opened up, you know, doing flooring. I got the whole store. I actually went and talked to the kid myself at the store. And I was like, all right, I'll, you know, I'll give him a shot. I, see, I got a good feeling from him. But then when they gave us the estimate, it was like, um, uh, depending on, all is dependent. And I get it. It's a rent, it's a rip in the bathroom. But just nothing solid. So I mentioned to him, I said, you know, you really kind of vague with everything. Never got a response back from him. Nothing. Not a phone call. I was like, well, did I say the inappropriate thing? Or... Did he realize well, he was taking so, on a job, or did he just not so, want to deal with me? I, I can't figure it out. So we're we're this this has to shift. This is another one of those things I've been talking about, like truck prices and trailer prices and rates and and all of this. At some point, will shift. It's not yet, and that's why I I still keep using the word stagflation. I am still afraid. That we could, and here's the thing. I don't know if anybody understands why we end up in stagflation. I, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. The two things are almost opposite. You either have a stagnant or econo- economy, or you have an economy that's inflating so fast, the money gets all screwed up. I don't understand how you have both at the same time. But we did once in the 70s, and I was too young. I remember it, but I didn't understand it. I don't understand it now, but I'm going to try to because this is what worries me, is our economy is slowing down rapidly. It's not inflating. It's slowing down. Everybody's announcing layoffs. Trucking, which is a leading economic indicator, is tanking by the day. It's happening so fast, and yet... Truck prices are not coming down nearly as much as I thought they should. They've come down, but uh, housing prices in some parts of the country are still going up. It, it makes no sense. Interest rates are high. The economy's low and housing prices are going up. That, that, that is nonsensical. And the only yeah, thing yeah. that explains that is stagflation. And, and if we have that again, hold on to your hats because it was an ugly time. Yeah, see, that's the thing, too, because like we're in a development down here, and it's nice. But, I mean, the house is a little close. We got a nice pool in the backyard. you know. And I'm saying, 
she wants a little something a little bigger. You know, I do too. We really can't entertain a lot of people. Not that we do it all the time. It would be nice. But then I'm like, well, we got this beautiful thing, you know, like the pool. I can walk out my gate in the back. There's a, you can call, it's actually on a swamp, so it is part of a swamp. I can go back and catch bass back there. I won't eat them. I won't eat them. But right. I, can go out, I can go out in the morning, throw, my, throw a line in the pool, and pull, pull three fish in, and I throw, I throw them back. You know, I got my fix for fishing. Yeah. But I, I'm now thinking down in South Carolina, they're building beautiful places. But there's two things. Again, like you said, we could get good money for the house, but then when I go to buy, I'm going to pay more money. <laughs> right. Second of all is the workmanship. The workmanship, well, I have a buddy of mine that I all cars with. He bought a place up near Wilmington, and I, every time I go there, I notice something different. I, so finally, I stopped saying stuff to him because I'm pointing out stuff that I see. And he's like, God, oh, I know, I know. He just, I mean, a beautiful house, but the, the workmanship. Is, is gone out of that too. So I like now. Do I want to go buy something and have to deal with that again? It's just I can't. I can't figure. Out. I think I'm just going to sink my money. You know, make this place as best as I can here and and just and deal with it. But it's just hard to get somebody to work there to get work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and that's another thing, like I said, it, that should be shifting at some point. I'm still wondering why it's not. Yeah, I don't know. The I mean, only I thing I can the only thing I can think is that even though people are getting laid off, that's we're just starting into that layoff trend. There's still work with Uber and Instacart, so that keeps some of them going. Some of them might be on some goofy unemployment program. There's enough of those out there, and enough people had such a good couple of years that. Even though it, the slowdown has started, there are enough people that still have enough money that they're keeping the prices high. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but like I said, those those uh, that was with my, my interest was TD Bank, and I'm keeping my eyes open. I'm looking around because I could just move it to something else. I don't have to stay committed to them. You know what I mean? But right. I was like, I'm, I'm I'm waiting. I remember I remember that like back in 1988 when I bought my house when I lived in Jersey. I was paying ten, a ten and a quarter percent interest for, yeah. the, for the mortgage. I, yeah, I know. I, you I mean, know, I, like, I, I, I want to go back to that that loyalty issue I talked about. You know, if you're when I was talking with Herschel, you know, especially a small local bank, you know, I, I could see you give up a little bit if you. That's part of building the relationship. So you might say, well, I could get three and a half percent over here, but you know, they're going to give me two and a half percent. I'll go with that. It's part of the relationship. I'm at the point now with Chase, and, and even though it's a huge bank, we're a, we're a decent-sized business customer, so we have our own person, and they call us all the time, and I, I, I can't complain about their service. It's been fine, um, but their savings account right now is paying less than 1%, and I have, I, I have a significant amount that I could be earning 4.5% on, and I'm at the point now where I will tell them the next time my rep calls me and says, is there anything we can do? I'm going to say, um, you can either figure out how to pay me three and a half or 4% on this money, or you're about to lose it because relationships go two ways. Right. I'm willing to give up something. Yeah. I am not giving up that much though. No, no, not if it's there. That's just, like I said, I have, I have, I, I got a, I'm in a credit union too. When I bought my pickup truck, I, you know, they, they gave you a free save. Uh, they put $25 in the yeah. savings account for you. So I was like, I never used it. 
Right. So after I got the money, I, you know, for my mom, I started, I said, you know, I got to sit down. I figured out what I need. I'm going to start banking money. I, 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 I take a 20% on my 401k going for every, every check. My company contributes, which is cool too. They can contribute 4%, but they, I worked at a place that used to do it monthly. They do it every week. So every week they're putting the money into the, uh, into my right. 401k. Nice. It's not like with one, it's a different place. It used to be monthly. Right. So you'd, you know, it'd be cool. All right. You know, you're, you, but you wouldn't be getting that interest, you know, into the account. Every, you know, it would be by, but this was monthly. So it was, I mean, I still got money, but this is like crazy. So I'm socking money into that, but I'm just, I'm like, I just, I'm leery about, you know, like, do I want to start really going crazy looking for, another bank, you know, but this other one, like I said, this other savings account and the credit union is high too, but I don't, I don't, you know, I got it. It's then it's two different. I mean, it's just a lot of moving around. Right. I have the time to do it, but I don't, you know, I just got to figure it out. But. Yep. Well, I will let someone else get in there. Enjoy your uh, time off there, man. You're looking at the Pacific Ocean, I guess, huh? I am. Yep. It's right in front of me. Nice. I'm not going to say where I am on the Sweet. coast, but I'm on the coast somewhere. I, I, I wouldn't either. <laughs> Enjoy yourself, man. All right. Will do. All right. Uh, yeah, we're going yep. to be here with uh, a little bit of ocean therapy till uh, next Wednesday. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. We will be doing a couple shows. I am off tomorrow and Monday, so I'm taking a long weekend. Um, right now, um, my long weekend is about to start. We are out of calls. I'll hang out here for just a minute or two. I'll give you a couple updates. And if you want to jump in, uh, go ahead and do it. So here's the first update. Uh, tomorrow is the last day of the Sovereign sale. Um, we had a lot of sales yesterday on Sovereign. Thank you for the support. It was a great day in the store. Um, great products, the Sovereign Silver and Copper. Um, that special ends tomorrow. That special buy 50 for every $50 worth of product you buy, you will get a travel size Sovereign Silver. Uh, so check that out couple other updates. Um, oh, hold on. Okay, never mind. Here's another update. Uh, Sarah sent this over. There is an app for your phone. It's from the Weston A. Price Foundation, like I talked about. Uh, it's called Find Real Food Locations. So it's an app. That's pretty darn cool. Uh, it does look like there is a subscription on that one. It's four ninety nine a month. Uh, it says thirteen thousand products in the USA approved by the Weston A. Price Foundation. Excellent. Um, keep in mind, um, we do follow a lot from Weston A. Price. They're, they they do still though talk about properly prepared grains. Uh, that's one place where I don't necessarily agree with Weston A. Prices on the grains issue. So just know that you, you may find things like sourdough bread or something in there that is Weston A. Price approved. Um, so just know that. All right. We've got a couple calls. We'll, uh, we'll jump over and see what's on their mind. Paul, howdy. Howdy. 
you all over here in Harrison neighborhood. Oh, uh, there you go. A senior, yeah, a senior, senior over there in the Pacific Ocean, which is cooler than the Atlantic Ocean. Are you going to go and jump in the ocean for a swim? Of course. In that salt water? Of course. Good deal. Yeah. And... Uh, and we're we're uh, we're getting pretty darn close to the start of wing foil season, so I'm going to be getting plenty of cold exposure. Oh yeah. The the no. river. Forget the ocean temperature. The river, remember, is what? all runoff yeah. from Mount Hood. Oh okay. Yeah, so it's cold, yeah. cold. So if you, if you stand up. Tall enough and look far enough, you'd be able to see New Zealand because that's over there in the Pacific Ocean. It, it is. Maybe. I, you got you got to remember though. I am vertically challenged. Yeah. So, um, you talk about wing foiling. Have you seen any of the New York? Yes. Yes. Isn't that Holy crazy? Crap. I know. Yeah, they get up out of the water and it's like God, they're flying. Yes. And that's that's exactly yeah. what it feels like on a wing foil. It is crazy. It doesn't feel like you're connected to the water. It feels more like you're flying. Yeah, well, the one I watched a video the other day, and this yacht, you know, it's got two foils on it, one on each side, but only one of them was in the water. And it's like, this video looks like it's sped up, but it wasn't. And it's like, holy crap, that's, I don't know what speed they were doing, but they were it is. that. It is a huge game changer. The whole foil thing on everything, boats, surfboards, ferries, everything's using foils now. Should make the America's Cup yacht race really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're not kidding. Whenever they, I don't, I don't know when they're having it. So, um, I did have one other thought on my mind, but I lost it. So you lo- go to someone else. lost the thought or you lost your mind? I lost my thought. Okay. That's yeah. better than losing your mind. <laughs> yeah, well, some people tell you I've already lost that anyway. But, yeah. I, I, okay, I, I'll carry on. All right. I didn't lose my mind, but I do occasionally misplace it. Let's go to Utah. Ray, welcome to the program. Oh, let me try that button again. There we, there we go. Oh, good. Hey, I have a question. Uh, I have an 18-year-old daughter, and she has started investing in mutual funds. And so she, every two weeks, she spends $200 on mutual funds. So what I've had her buy, and you can correct me if it's wrong, is in the Vanguard, I've had her been buying the VOO, which is the S&P 500. Yes, is that that's a good idea, or should I change it a little bit? No. I, so she puts 400 a month, twice a month, you know, she puts 200. You know, one of the things I, I have really moved towards in investing, like I do in almost everything, food, everything I can simplify, I try to simplify. And I am, I am becoming more and more convinced that simplifying is important. So, Let's look at even my advice for years on three different index funds. You know, the idea was we're even more diversified, but I'm looking at it now and saying, 
is that extra diversification really doing us any good? When we hit these big downturns, um, the S&P 500 is down. The small cap index fund is down. The EFA is down. They, they all seem to go down in the big downturns anyway. So what are we really protecting ourselves from? We're doing this long term. If we put all of our money into the S&P 500, we still have 500 different companies we're invested into. I'm really to the point where I'm just going to tell people, put it all in the S&P 500. Be done with it. Well, that's kind of what I say. They say, well, what if, uh, I lose a lot of money. I say, well, if you're in the S&P 500 and you lose a lot of money and you go broke, everyone's screwed. That, that's kind but, of my point. you got 500 it, it, companies. Right. So. It, the S&P is such a good, solid benchmark of our entire economy that if the what you just said is absolutely correct. If the S&P tanks, everything else is tanking with it. And we can look historically, it always has. Yeah, well, I'm going to keep doing that. I, I just wanted to make sure because she's trusting me uh Joyce teasing me I'm spending her money, but I said you'll thank me in forty years. Absolutely. So that you're con- doing that. Congratulations to her and you as well. And I think your thinking is rock solid on this. Well, then I'll keep doing that. So uh kinda got some of it from you and Dave Ramsey and he says diversify, but I thought I'm not a financial expert, so I'll diversify what I do and Yeah. We'll keep her in that simple one. So she advise it every two weeks. There you go. So, well, thank you very much. Have a good vacation. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to North Dakota this time. Tom, welcome to the program. Yeah, hey, Kevin. I hope you have a good way. I'll make this fast. I I hope you're in, uh, you know, I always like Rockaway Beach. Um, That was always in that little, they have a little, the smallest, um, uh, port in the United yeah. States is right a little south of that. I forget the name yeah. of it. You know what else is cool about Rockaway yeah. Beach? Well, don't say the bath monkeys. But, yeah. <laughs> but. <laughs> Have you ever seen all the bunnies? The bunnies? Yeah. There's wild no. rabbits all over that town. They're everywhere. Oh, I never paid attention. Yeah, a lot, a lot of black no. ones. Um, we were in an RV park over there, and you could almost feed them. They were so tame, and they're really? just all over the place. Yeah, they're not. They're not real wild bunnies, though. Then they're just people's pets that got loose, huh? Uh, no, you know, I asked somebody, and they said something about there. There's like a whole colony of them up in the hills. I guess they are really wild, and some of them have just migrated down there. Oh, that's but crazy. but they're that's just that's they're crazy. they're they're well, almost tame. Yeah, it's kind of cool. It makes diesel crazy. Well, um, oh boy, huh? <laughs> I can, I bet, yeah. right? Yeah, jeez Louise, that'd be something else. Hey, um, so you're talking about cast iron skillets, and that's all I cook when with, with when I'm at home. And you know, I just went with Lodge because they made in the United States, and they're not. They're not bad pans, but they're not finished well. But if you take that lodge pan and you sand it down, you know, granted, you'll have to re-season it. 
But if you sand that down uh, and use like, you know, 120 grit at the end um, and then re-season it, that really makes it um, uh, really non-stick. And I, and I was thinking, you know, with the copper that we know now, and so I'm going to try this. It might be six months so I can get home. But um, all of the pennies that are before 1982 are the, like 90-something percent copper, right? So I wonder if you just melted pennies and poured them in your cast iron, If it number one, if it sticks to cast iron, if it doesn't have any, any seasoning on it. But wouldn't that be cool to have a cast iron skillet with a – just like you don't have to get it all the way up the sides, even just the majority of the bottom. Uh, that's a, um, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, I don't know right? if that would work at all, yeah. but it's an interesting yeah. thought. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try it and let you know how it works out. And you have uh, thanks, thanks for everything you do for everybody, and have a wonderful uh, four day weekend. Thank you, I appreciate it. Let's go to Connecticut. Ron, welcome to the program. Hi, good morning, Jeff. How are you doing today? Good. What's on your mind? So, first off, I want to say you always claim you're not funny, but dropping yourself on your own radio show, that's funny <laughs> as all get out right there. <laughs> <laughs> that was, you know, and, and there, was, there was a moment of panic because you know how it takes a second after you click on something most of the time. So, as I'm reaching right. to click to hang up that line, just as I'm doing it, I saw the screen shift. But I couldn't stop my finger. It was already in motion. and But I knew what I was doing before I even did it. I just couldn't stop myself. That was fantastic. So the reason why I'm calling, so I assume you read the book, uh, Drop Acid. Yes. Right? Okay, so I have a bunch of questions about that. Now, I've listened to your show for years, and you've always said that, uh, you know, eating meat and all that stuff, you know, doesn't cause... Uh, you know, issues in our joints and whatnot, but according to his book, he pretty much, you know, if you if you have any problems with gout, you know, you, you kind of need to eliminate self-occurrings and including meat and all that. Yeah, I so, so the difference there, yeah, let me explain okay. that. Um, you know that I talk about the fact that I eat fruit and honey every day, right? Right, right, yep. Do you ever hear me recommend fruit and honey to somebody who's diabetic? Now we have to we have to solve the problems first. We have to fix what's broken. Okay. So I I do believe that the proper human diet is primarily animal products, and a little bit of fruit and honey managed well can can add to that. Too much fruit and honey would start to take away from it at some point. A little bit of fruit and honey managed well for somebody who is metabolically healthy works. No different here. If you want to get through that transition with the fewest gout symptoms, then yes, you would temporarily cut down on some of those f- protein animal products and, and get more of your calories from fat for a while. Yeah, because I was just wondering because I, I, uh, I'm pretty much carnivore at this point and I really don't have any issues. Now, before I went, I was doing keto for years and all that, and I was having gout like symptoms in my toe, and I was thinking it was gout. And you know, listening to you all this time and reading a bunch of books and all this stuff, 
I started to wonder if it was, was really meat and all that, or if it wasn't so, just I wasn't processing fat correctly. Well, yeah. So let it seemed let, to occur when I had a lot of fat. Let's explain what oh, could. There's two things happening here, and I suffer from this exact same thing. And I absolutely know it's not gout. I've checked. It's not okay. gout. It is so. Gout is uric acid crystallizing in the joint and then causing the inflammation and the pain. Oxalates can crystallize in the joint and cause the pain. When our fat digestion is poor, we have more problems with oxalates. You are also, if you've listened to the mini series on oxalates, you're also experience oxalate dumping. So we have to find the sweet spot of oxalates in your diet. If you are true carnivore, you have no oxalates and your body will dump even more. So this is a case where we actually add some oxalates in to stop our body from from dumping so hard. I like to feel I'm true carnivore, but I know I'm, Every once in a while, I still like my broccoli and my asparagus. So it, 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 uh, it, it may not be enough oxalate. You may have to add some more. So okay. dark chocolate is one of my go-tos. I like dark chocolate because it has other benefits. It's an adaptogen. It's, it's a good uh, right. source of a lot of minerals, a lot of trace minerals. So I, I, you know, when I have room for more oxalates, it's almost always um, dark chocolate or sweet potatoes, that's another huge offender, but I love sweet potatoes. So you, you may want to try adding some more oxalate back into your diet. Okay. Because yeah, I broke my knee last year, and you know, I recovered from it, and it seems that when my when I get that little flare up on my toe, my knee also starts to hurt at the same time. And I don't know if that's, you know, I, I know we don't all believe in coincidences, but I wonder if they're kind of related to each other. You know, obviously I'm doing something that's flaring up the joint, but, you know, I was, it, it, when, it, when I read that book, so, I it, or listened to it, so I No, it, it, it could very well be. Here's, here's kind of how both uric acid crystals and oxalate crystals will act. You will primarily get them first in your feet, and that's because it settles to the lowest point because of gravity. That's all that's happening there. So ankles, knees could be more likely, but then here's the next place they tend to cause problems. Any joint that's been injured, I get them in my left shoulder. Yeah, I've separated my left okay. shoulder twice. I will get, I will get that oxalate pain in my feet if I, if I'm going to get it, and then the next place it'll show up will be my left shoulder, and then my left knee because right. I almost tore my left knee off once. So yeah, it, that's that's pretty common. Well, I, pretty much every joint in my body has been injured. I raced motorcycles and cars when I was younger. So yeah, me just too. about every joint in my yep. body has got some kind of trauma. Yeah. So yes. I, got, I, I did buy a uh, uh, uric acid meter a while ago, and I've had it maybe six, seven months, and I don't think the reading ever went above 2.1 or 2.2. You definitely yeah. do not have gout then. Right. Yeah, it's, it's always been really low. I mean, there's times it's under one. Yep. I, don't know if that's I think add, 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 try to get about 250 milligrams of oxalate a day. Okay. That's a, that's a target to shoot okay. for. I'll, I'll try that and see if the pain goes away. 
fantastic. Thank you so much, brother. You have a great weekend. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Florida. Matt, welcome. Good morning, Kevin. What's on your mind today? So, well, a lot of investing stuff today. So Yeah. I tried to hold off calling, but it just kept getting more, so I had to call in. There you go. Um, I'll start with uh, Herschel had the correct numbers. He was talking about his IRA. Yes. And for this year, 2023, it is $6,500 for anybody under the age of 50. And Herschel said 7000 and he is over the age of 50. So yeah, if you're over 50, you can get that 7000 in. Got it. Um, there are a couple callers there uh, talking ago about the his daughter and the S&P 500 index and Dave Ramsey's recommendations. I've been listening a lot more to Dave Ramsey lately. I just got hooked on his podcast again because there's several years there I probably didn't listen at all. Um, he actually had this several months ago and he went back and did the research because he was looking at mostly the, the EFA, the, the European or international funds, whatever. And right. they've been down for years. So if you do short term you'd be better off without them. But anytime, any 10-year cycle, if you expand it out to at least 10 years, you actually ended up better with it in. It, it, now we're and talking the, pretty Right, it, it was small. small. Yeah, it is small. And, and that's, make or break yet. And that's yeah. kind of why I, I always pushed the three because, I mean, there was a reason, and I didn't develop this idea, um, but there was a reason this idea came to be, and you did use three because, like you said, if you went back historically and checked, the three performed better than two, and three performed better than one, and so that's why I always kept it in there, but you're, it, it's a fairly small difference, and our life has been getting so complicated that I am just starting to try to simplify things more and more. And that's what I'm doing too. And majority of everything I do is just the S and P 500. I I have actually shrunk even my 401k. At one point, I think I had twelve different mutual funds. Yeah, and yeah. I think I'm down to seven right now. And there's a couple more I'm probably going to get rid of just because their fees are so high. Yeah, yeah. I, so I'm just I'm, yeah, life simpler is and simpler so damn complicated anymore that I'll, I'll give up a little bit of an advantage to simplify things. Yep. I'm even no. doing it with food. Um, you know, that whole idea, I've talked about it, where Steve Jobs wore the same clothes every day and ate the same breakfast every day. He did it to simplify his life so he could save his willpower and decision-making power for important decisions. Not stuff that it doesn't matter what you wear, what you eat for breakfast. Well, what you eat does, but that well, that's a different argument right now. But you know, I've always said I, I was a foodie. Both Lisa and I, we love food. We'd make you know wild dishes. I wanted to learn how to cook other cuisines. I, I, I am the exact opposite now. I am so simplifying food. We, you know, we, I'm standardizing some recipes and saying, look, I'm just going to make this as easy as I can so I don't have to go through this thought process of what am I eating today? 
And yeah, that's a lot of, she was in one other book, either about goals and that, and, but you, you know, your top three most important things to do for the day. Right. You always do those first. And then the less important things, if you don't get to them, you don't get to them. Exactly. But your important right. stuff got taken care of. Yep. Yep. So, um, I missed the open of the show, but I come in when uh, you were talking to the guy about uh, two trucks and the trip leasing type stuff. Um, the FMCSA, well, they might have a list somewhere. I didn't find one. They, they really only have a recommendation. It's a gray area. So technically it's worded as unprocessed raw materials. Okay. Is what is exempt commodity. Right. So this is where it becomes a gray area. So if you're loading wood chips out of the woods, that's an exempt commodity. Okay. If those wood chips have been colored and now it's a landscaping product, even if it's still, you know, the bulk walking floor guy right. delivering it to a landscaping place, that's right. a processed material. I had a feeling it probably so, gets this screwy and complicated. Yep. And like you say, that's not in writing, so it's up to the discretion of an officer on the side of the road. Right. Is it really exempt? And and how many officers really know what the hell they're talking about? <laughs> well, yeah, most don't care. Yeah, I mean, they kind of... Wood product stuff like that—that's all exempt. So I, I would, yeah, you that, know, what what about goofy. what about agricultural products? I mean, what is what constitutes processing? Yeah. Well, yeah, I would assume you know now everything today is you know your bag salads, all that. That's a processed material. That's what I mean. It, that so that Versus gets pretty screwy, right? The lettuce. Yeah. Typically, yep. typically produce is considered exempt, right? Yep. Yeah, produce is. But like you said, bagged salads but, is that exempt? That's a gray area. What What about baby carrots? So, Baby carrots technically baby carrots do not do not grow not like a, that in case anybody's wondering. Baby carrots are nothing but big carrots shaved down to that size. Yep. So and then the uh leasing on and I would have uh, you gave the example of Landstar there. And I would assume you were thinking correctly that yes. Landstar has that policy that if your truck is leased onto them, you cannot use that truck to go do anything else. Right. But that's that truck, not a different truck. Yeah, I don't, I have but never like, you know, heard that so before. To check to right. Be sure. Right. Because, yeah, this is truck individual. They're, you know, what you're leased onto them, the, the truck you have leased onto them, they have the VIN number. Correct. A different truck with a different VIN number I, means nothing to Landstar. Well, and first off, how do you know? I, I'm not going to tell you. It's none of your business. I'll put a damn truck wherever the hell I want. And how are you going to know that I have a truck somewhere else? Well, yeah. It's, 
and that's where the or, leasing or is here's really another confusing. way. Here, here's another way, and then we'll jump over to the trip leasing. Um, in many cases, I do know of carriers that will lease on trucks that are owned by somebody who's not the driver. So it, that truck will become my oh, yeah. wife's then. Or my sons, yeah. or my, you know, so, somehow I'd figure this out. You know, or just even a second LLC. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's even so easy to it, right circumvent. That. So now, yes, go check. I don't believe that. I, I believe there was a misunderstanding here. But if it is true that you can't, so what? I could figure out so many ways around it. So yeah, the whole—I mean, I, I completely agree with you that the authority just needs to go away because it's—it's it's really just a secondary enforcement tool on top of, you know, it's these multiple laws covering the same thing. It, it makes no sense, multiple? right? Right, and and the I, I department I'm, is enforceable. I, I'm shocked when I talk to people in the trucking industry, and they're like, "Well, well, no, it has to exist." Uh, well, that's how the FMCSA does their safety audit, or or all this other screwy answers. And I'm like, "So what? Why can't they just do a safety audit? Why do I have to have this process of authority in order for them to do a safety audit? Every industry I know is subjected to some sort of safety audit." Oh, yeah, there's OSHA laws that cross with FMCSA laws. And, and, and you know, when, if we get into food service, then there's all kinds of inspections and regulations around food service. But restaurants don't have to go ask for authority and pay for it. Yeah. Speaking of that, my sister went to college for food science. I believe was her major, but she works at a food processing plant and she's supervisor. And there's one time on Facebook, I posted a picture of my load <laughs> and she comments, that's not legal. <laughs> there was no cardboard <laughs> across the top of the pallet. Strip right. And I guess that is some food safety rule somewhere. I'm sure I can of tell it. You, majority of the freight I haul, it's not there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No <laughs> doubt. Uh, but, um, Speaking yeah, so of, you know, that, that I'm going to comment on that. The, the, the number of rules and regulations that never get followed in all kinds of industries. Um, and, you know, the, on social media, the argument right now is the broker transparency issue. Um, and there's, there's one guy that I've actually butted heads with a couple times in the past, and then we kind of agreed to disagree on some things. And, uh, you know, we actually have a conversation once in a while. Um, but he's, he's very, very different from my thoughts. He's big on unions. And even though he's an owner-operator, he's big on unions and um, big on OIDA and, and, you know, those kinds of things. And his big issue now is this broker transparency. But he's, he's almost kind of gone off the deep end on it he just keeps talking about it. it's rampant fraud. It's happening every day on every load. It's the biggest fraud in U.S. business history, and it's it's hurting us all. And I'm like, dude, chill. I, look, I agree with you that it happens, but the the fact that it's the biggest fraud in U.S. history and it's hurting us all, give me a break. This doesn't hurt anybody. Who cares? Yeah, 
Well, and my response always to these people that think the brokers are screwing them and the brokers are taking all the money is first, go interview a couple of brokers and find out how much money they really make. Exactly. It ain't that much. No. And number two, if you want to understand the broker business, go work for one for six months. Exactly. And learn everything and there you go. Find out what it involves. There you go. Here's the other thing oh. I post to them, and this shut them down completely. I've gotten zero response from this. So I said, all right, let, let's try this. Because he keeps posting these loads. Look, here's another one. Look, here's another one. Well, you could do that all day long. We get it. The rates are low. Come on. So my, he posted one of these loads, and my response was, okay, let's try it this way. Um, right now, you have that load posted, and that's all the information you have. You have no idea how much the broker is getting paid for this load, and you have to make a decision. This is what you do every day. Are you going to pull this load or not based on the information you have? And what you have is how much it pays you. Isn't that all you need? So you have the information. You decide, do you want to pull this load at this rate or not? That's, that's step number one. Now, give me your answer to that question. Now I'm going to say, okay, here is the information on that load and how much the broker made. Are you going to make a different decision now? And if you are, explain that to me. I think most people would probably be pretty shocked to find how often exactly brokers move loads for free and sometimes actually lose money on them. Yep. I know my main broker on my southbound hall, when things were terrible because they were under contract, they were several times, you know, it's many loads a week that move. And I bet you they were doing two, three loads a week. They were losing money on yes. just to get them covered. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely happens. And, you know, so let, let's say that in this case, let's say we show him the load and he makes a decision. He makes a decision that he's going to pull it. You know, I see the rate. Okay, I'll take this one. Now we tell him that the broker's actually taking 25% out of this load. What good is that information? Yep. So, so are you going to take it now or not? And if you say no... Then I'm going to ask the broker for more. Okay, that's fine. That's called negotiation. You should probably learn how to do it. There's actually some skill to this, but that's fine. Go back and ask for more. Ultimately, if he just says, I don't care if I'm taking 25%, I'm not paying you more. Well, then what are you going to do? Are you going to say no? And now you're going to leave a load on the dock that you would have pulled before. So why do you even want to know this? Well, the the difference between truly being a business owner and running a business. It really is. Yeah. Saying I own a truck and, you know, and working on emotions versus working on true business principles. Yep. Yep. That's really what it comes down to. It crosses even myself. Of course. I have days where my emotions affect my business decisions, and usually not in a good way. Well, we we deal with this constantly, like many businesses do. Every time we bring a new product into the market, into the store, 
we have to negotiate that deal. How much are we going to pay for that product? And then how much can we sell it for in our store? And I don't know what the manufacturer's margins are. Can I, could, do I try to, and I say, I, I don't do any of this. Lisa does all this and she's really good at it, but she doesn't, when she's negotiating with one of these manufacturers, she doesn't know if, if they, maybe they could pay us twice as much for all we know. And if, if we knew they could, we'd probably negotiate harder, but that's not how business works. I don't get to know their margins before I negotiate. And, you know, that's wide open, too, because, you know, watching Shark Tank, you've seen some of them where they, you know, their manufacturing cost is 50% of what they're Yeah, and for. and for some people, it's 2%. Right. Yep, and then the, the next one will come in, and it's, yeah, it's so low, it's like, well, how do you even make money? Exactly, You and then you have no to problem. make money on volume. So, so that this, all of these things, this is how business works, and it's why business isn't easy. You have to get good at all these things. They take work. This idea that you have to tell me your margin so I know how to negotiate is just lazy. No, that's not how this works. And this ties right into what I was going to say about the trip leasing and and you even brought up OIDA. Yeah. I'm not blaming them, but, you know, just to to rub salt in some people's wounds about all this, I'm assuming a lot of this is OIDA's fault. Because back in the 90s, when they were suing all these carriers, you know, and all that resulted in that was the contract got much thicker. Oh, yeah, it got huge. As the lawyers dug into it and made the contract you know, more ironclad, that's where you can no longer take a truck and drive it. That, you know, that, trip that stuff. may be, that, no, you, you may be onto something here. And I've told this story before. And the first time I heard it, it was so shocking. Um, I was at a, at a trucking conference and there was an attorney group there, same attorney group I always talk about, uh, Scopolitis, Garvin, Hanson, Fury, whatever. I actually know Greg Fury, one of the partners. Um, they are like the, the number one trucking attorney group in the country. And they're really good, too. Um, they were doing a, a presentation on contracting with owner-operators. Now, this is being given to fleets. This was a fleet conference. And they were, their presentation was on the contract itself. And in their, in the, you know, when you're reading about the different sessions, they said, we will tell you from upfront whether or not your contract is good or not. Now we can't say for sure, but we can give you one big way. We'll know whether your contract is good or not. That's pretty interesting. I want to hear this. So we get in there and the attorney walks up on, stage and he's you know making a big deal about setting up all his stuff and he takes out a big postal scale and he puts it on top of the table and then he he starts talking about contracts and he takes a contract and he sets it on the scale and he looks and he says nope and he throws that one away he puts another one on the scale and he's talking about other things that he's doing it and he's nope and he throws that one away and then he takes this big thick heavy contract and he puts it on and he's going yep perfect that was their only criteria 
it from that alone they could tell you now if it was big then they would dig through it and make sure you had all the right stuff covered but the first step was it has to weigh a certain amount if it doesn't weigh that much that means it doesn't have enough pages and it's probably risky doesn't that suck that that's how we have to do business well, and then the other next side of it is insurance, like you're saying, and, you know, with insurance companies getting drug into bigger and bigger lawsuits every day. Right. If, you know, as a carrier, you are responsible for liability. Correct. So if you, if you let's just use big names so everybody knows, you know, for an example here. If you were leased on to Schneider and then you wanted to go pull a load for Swift, uh, under a trip lease, Snyder still has liability insurance on that truck. Even if you put Swift's name on the door, covered up Snyder. Correct. If you are in an accident, a lawyer is going to dig that up, and they're going to dig Snyder into the lawsuit. That's another good point. You're right. Yep. So that's why, you know, le- legally, trip leasing has become very, very hard because of insurance and just, you know, thicker contracts and, you know, we got to protect everything. And, and so don't take the risk. You know, it sucks that we can't do it. Uh, trip leasing was yeah. a good thing. I really liked it. Yeah. Well, but back then your contract with the carrier was one and page. I, I actually experienced trip leasing from both sides of the table because I trip leased as an owner operator and before I became a broker, I actually, I was an agent for CRST. So I had CRST door signs at my location, my physical location. And if I found a truck to move a load and it was a trip lease, they would come by my physical location and I would give them door signs. Yeah, and luckily in the early 90s, trucks were steel Um, (laughs) right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) and magnetic signs work right (laughs) exactly that that, that's not the case anymore yeah maybe that's there now we just figured it out that that this is this is simple we don't trip lease anymore because our signs won't stick right it's it's those damn plastic trucks Uh, uh, that's all it is. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I, I am going to, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to move along because the calls are piling up on me. Actually, what I'm going to do here, we're down to 30 minutes. I'm going to turn the phones off for any new calls. So don't bother dialing. I just turned the phones off. Um, I got a bunch of calls here. Let's go to New Jersey. Danny, welcome to the program. Uh, I think it's still morning. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's still morning here on the Pacific Ocean, yes. <laughs> uh, it's, it's almost, it's one thirty over here. But Matt is my inspiration. You know, I, I wasn't going to go here, but I, I, I've i been doing this since uh, 1974, 1975. And uh, I was out here in the Carter days. As a matter of fact, at the end of the Carter days, I, my father and I had bought our first truck. And anyway, I, I, I got my landing gears up. 
So, in other words, what I'm saying, I'm not landing. I'm going to stay up and just keep going quick so you can get into your vacation. Um, I used to fall for, once I, uh, I was able to get my own trailer, I, I mainly stayed in Florida and all of produce at that time was exempt. And, um, so that is an avenue. I'm pretty sure that that's still an avenue for the individual that was asking about that. And what I would do, I would follow the broker. We would start in Homestead with tomatoes and then, he, we would work all the way up uh, the coast of Florida, and then he would go to Santee, South Carolina. And a lot of guys would go out to the coast, but I ha- always had heard that the farther you go, the less you make. I mean, that was a yeah. very simplistic statement. Yeah, right, but, right. I mean, I, I never had a desire to go to California because in those days, a Jake break was an option. and <laughs> I couldn't afford a Jake break. Yeah, right. Time. But and I, I, and I knew my limitations, which is not really, it, that doesn't apply in, in all of my life. But, but just to dovetail off of what Matt was saying, I seem to remember, but when everybody else went to California, I'd go to Pulver, Wisconsin and pull potatoes for Jeff Mock, who would come up out of Alabama. You know, I, I would make the relationships with the broker. And you opened up Monday's show about these individuals that want to know what the broker's making. Right. My question is, do you know what you're making right now? No, they How, don't. What, that, that, what that, that's yeah. what makes me crazy about this. They're demanding that they, they know what somebody else is making when they don't bother to know what they make themselves. It's impossible, impossible to survive because what that is, Kev, in, in my mind, it's a professional victim's mentality. Yes. Everybody, and I lived that for a while. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, 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 like I said last week, there's not much that I'm gonna, you're going to hear come out of my mouth that doesn't have a real-life personal experience where I had to take a step back and say, wait a minute, that, that didn't work out too good. Let me rethink that. And, you know, Going back to that time, I, I had always been, my father was a disciplinarian. I think we got that pretty much, you know, covered last week. But I, him and I bought a truck together. He had the credit, I had the money, and I had the per, uh, the place to put it. But he was very strict on doing the logs. And, I mean, you know, we ran teams. And if my logs didn't leave his, uh, uh, you know, because we used to run drop and hook out to Chicago. But anyway, to make a long story short, he really uh, trained me to be compliant aware. Right. So what I did with that, because, and and I'm going to be brief, I tried to manipulate. And I did. I did for many years. I would trip lease, get the signs from somebody, get the bingo card. And you got it. You had to put a deposit on the bingo card and the sign, you know, when you settle, I would keep the sign and the bingo card for, for a year until the bingo card expired. You know what I mean? So I would maneuver like that. That that was my mentality back then, but getting into the insurance that uh, Matt was talking about, I totally agree with that. Because I seem to remember when is all you needed to carry for an independent was seven hundred and eighty thousand. 
Is, do, do you remember that? Yes. Her truck? So what they, you know, I mean, if you were going to buy a policy, which you had no problem buying a policy, you got a million dollar policy and you kept moving. But uh, it's, I think it was right about in the beginning of Obama's term, Matt Cartwright out of, out of Harrisburg, he's a congressman, and I, I believe he's still down there. His family, they, they, they have a family law firm. He pushed for the insurance threshold to go up to 4.8 million. So what that told me, I'm very simple, is all that, because what the statistics were going back, I think it was 30 some odd years from that period of time, there was less than 1% of truck accidents that the claims were over the 780,000, you know, a million dollars. So and it said to me, you know, what, what, what's, what's the angle on that? And the angle tells me that what they were doing, and that goes dovetail with Obamacare, they were in the business of picking winners and losers, just like Dodd-Frank did in the housing crisis back in 2008. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to move on from there because I, I'm being very serious. I, you know, I, I value this platform. I, I mean, there's not even... Uh, a word to describe it. But, you know, you were talking about Alex Jones. I remember years ago that Alex Jones, I seem to remember, I, I, I can't be helping us. He had a TV show. And I, I think it had something to do with conspiracies and, and all that kind of stuff. It was on, on Saturdays. And I seem to remember him saying that there was somebody in his family that was in one of the governmental agencies. So he had a insight to things that the average individual didn't. But what my theory is right now, because of what you said this morning with Tucker and him, and the last interview that I seen with Tucker was Elon Musk. It's just a theory, but I would watch that as yeah, Elon it's, it's the money. The- there's a lot of speculation going on with um, and, and like I said, we may never know. The whole media is its own animal. I mean, nobody gets fired the way you do when you're in the media. No, because where's where's uh, what, uh, Lou Dobbs? Lou Dobbs was the first to go. Yeah, I know. I think he was in between O'Reilly. Yeah, yeah well, you know, Dobbs was good. They're almost always conservatives. You, you got him for, yeah, but but when See, what I like, it's exactly what you were saying this morning about truth. You know, truth is the truth is the truth. That's it. You know, but when, and this is what I was saying yesterday. I, I have an instinct to when somebody's trying to talk down to me. And what, see, what I understand about the settlement that Fox paid Dominion, that never went to court. That was a settlement outside of Correct. court. right. Why didn't it go to court? Well, why didn't they fight it? Why didn't who fight it? Fox. Yeah, my guess is the, the reason anybody I, doesn't go to court is because they're afraid they'll lose. That they, they they believe that there's enough evidence that they could lose, and the the then it could be much much worse what they might face. So they settle so that they know what the damage is. You know, Fox looks at it and says, look, it sucks, but we can afford $780 million. 
We can't afford a billion if that, if that were to happen. So we're not going to take the chance of a jury. We'll just settle. Attorneys know that juries are very, very unpredictable. So you have to be very careful getting in front of a jury. So instead, they'll just settle. Then it's a known amount. We can budget for it. We can afford it. We know what it is. We're not taking the chance. Can they crunch those numbers, though, for what they lost with Tucker? Well, well you have to speculate. You'd, look, here's something a yeah. lot of people don't realize. Tucker was number one in ratings, number one in numbers. Right. He was not number one in revenue. He had a huge revenue problem because the left has a big, big, had a big campaign going to, um, to boycott Tucker's sponsors. That's been going on for a long time, and it worked. Right. Hell, if you watch Tucker, you yeah, almost, you, what you see are nine MyPillow commercials. God bless Mike Liddell. Yeah, so Tucker, Tucker does not make as much money as everybody might believe he does. Because of that boycott. But, well, I, I, I go with that. But I, I just want to make one other point. Now, let, 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 let's be clear so people understand. Last quarter, okay. I think he brought in $38 million in ad revenue in a quarter, three months. I'm not saying he doesn't make ad revenue. He makes a lot. But he doesn't make right. as much as he should based on his listener base because of the boycotts. Do you have a comparable, though, to, to somebody else? Uh, there are several I mean, other hosts like, on that channel that generate more ad revenue, yeah. But that never used Hannity to be. Hannity does? Uh, yeah, Hannity does. Would that be Han Yeah, okay. All right, that, that makes sense. But I, I just want to go here because last Saturday, you know, I, I need downtime. I, I mean, really, I need to get back in the truck because I got too much downtime. But yeah, last well. Saturday, I put on the television. I put on the television and the Smith, I, I'm going to try and say, the uh, Smithsonian Channel was on. Yeah. And they were doing Aerial America. And they showed California from San Diego all the way up I-5, I believe that is. I forget what the Pacific Highway. And they showed the William Randolph Hearst. No, they, they, they weren't on I-5 then. They were on 101. Uh, that, that's it. Okay, but when they when they showed that, they said that Randolph Hearst was in the business of being kingmakers within the political arena, it, and they're no longer now Murdoch. It, it's and, do you well, know how do you know I'm how just, he originally made his money? Uh, Hearst or, or yeah, uh, Hearst. Uh, no, I don't. He struck gold. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. Yeah, he struck gold. It's an interesting story, too. He almost didn't. It was one of those. He had worked at it, worked at it, worked at it, had spent months or even years out in the field trying to find gold, and then finally had a big, big strike. Yeah. In California? Yep. See, that, that's where over here on the East Coast, you'd hear, go west, no, man, go west. <laughs> that's right. All right, we're going to move along. I uh, I got to watch. I don't run out of time here. We're going to head to Pennsylvania. Wade, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, good to talk to you. What can I help you with today? 
Uh, I had uh, one question I called about uh, real quick. I wanted to just let Tom know that I already called into the to the FBI and the Ministry of Monetary Funds to report his copper melting story. <laughs> That's right, destruction of, uh, of government <laughs> currency. Yeah, uh, really quick, the, uh, this guy called about this two times already. Um, the guy that has a dually pickup, he said he didn't want to pull up to the truck fuel island uh, to, because he doesn't, or he doesn't like putting catalysts in. So I've heard a couple people mention this and uh, about the catalyst in general, you know, how to dispense it into small, yeah. smaller vehicles. So Bruce has mentioned it, but he hasn't mentioned it in a while. If you go to your local pharmacy, you can get a children's um, little, like it's like a 5cc or a 10cc uh, medicine Dis- syringe. Right. They work really well. That's a great idea. Um, yeah. After like after like three months, the measurements wear off of them. So, you, you know, but there's like three bucks or something. So right. what I do, I, w- I was putting it in my car and I kind of had the same thought as Bruce. You know, if you're in a hurry. Is it worth it to do this? If I'm in a hurry, I want to get home. Is it worth it to dispense it? So what I do, I usually start the pump. If I know I'm getting 10 gallons, I start the pump. By the time you get it in the syringe, you only have five or six gallons. Just kick the pump off real quick, squirt it in, start the pump. It takes like five seconds extra. So that's an idea for that guy. If he's worried, I mean, if he's self-conscious about the time he's taking at the pump, which I I wouldn't be because... (sighs) I mean, you got so many dumbasses out here that are. You know, I watched the guy text on his phone for about five minutes and then swipe his card afterwards and stand outside the truck. I could have that. You know, I, I agree with you on this. There's one. no curse. If somebody is in that lane getting fuel and checking their oil and checking tires, I'm fine with that. That, that's all part of the whole truck thing, and you're right there, and you're doing it. That would never bother me. Somebody standing around texting on their phone. And, and that starts to bother me then. So, yeah, you know, you don't have to be that self-conscious about getting in and getting out quickly. But um, it, like you said, it's not even 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, with that kind of stuff, I mean, I most of the level headed truck drivers out here are not going to have a problem with it. And for the rest of them that do, I just tell them to kiss your rear end. Exactly. It's just what you got to do. I, I'd pull up if, if I had a diesel car like Bruce does. I'd pull up and get fuel. I wouldn't even think twice about it. You're, you're paying them money for the fuel. You're, you're a customer like anybody else. But uh, the reason I called today, so uh, we are in June. We're going to be going on an, an out west uh, road trip. We're in, we live in Pennsylvania, but we're going to be doing like uh, everything west of the Mississippi road trip. And my son, he's six, and he. Like, at least every other time we take a trip that's more than, say, 30 to 30 minutes to an hour, he gets car sick. Um, fairly, fairly clean diet. Um, when he's at home, it's very, you know, very clean. He's, you know, they do eat a little bit more fruit than I would like, but it's mostly, you know, almost 100% real food. And okay. the only yeah. exception is when they you know, when they end up at my in-laws house or at my parents, it's uh, kind of like, do I want to fight with my parents or no, my in-laws I, I, about you don't. Piece of bread every now and then? No, you don't. <laughs> that, that That's a battle that's not worth no. fighting. And, and, you know, I don't get too yeah, crazy about it. Right. I, I love my, right. I love my kids, but I gotta, yeah. I gotta weigh the, 
right. the whole the whole scenario here. So exactly. What is, Dramamine is definitely not going to be a thing unless you have something different to say. We're not going to do that for this. Uh, I, I would not. But is um, anything we can do? There are a couple things you can try, and you may want to practice um, before you leave. Like you know, go do an hour, hour and a half, or whatever. Make sure, try some different things that might work. Um, just in general, probably the most powerful you know, natural substance we have for nausea would be ginger. So real raw ginger. Um, I actually ferment mine. I, I have to fight issues with nausea from a motorcycle accident that I had, and I scarred my intestines and makes me very susceptible to nausea. And that's not the worst of it. The nausea could actually become a bowel blockage that's life-threatening. So I, I really have to watch it. And if I get nauseous, I've got to try to beat it pretty quickly. Um, for me, that's part of the cannabis thing, but we're obviously not going to do that here. Um, yeah, my, my wife ruled that out. Yeah, I kind of figured that one. So <laughs> it, the, I will take raw ginger and I'll throw it in a blender or a food processor and, and blend it down and then start to add the brine a fermenting brine, which is just water and salt. Um, and then you make a paste and then I'll let that, I'll, I'll let it sit out for months and months and months. It ferments. And then eventually I'll just throw it in the refrigerator. And I'll, if I have, if I feel nausea coming on, if I catch it early enough, um, ginger alone is, is strong enough. So I'll put a little bit of this, like a teaspoon or a half a teaspoon for a child, probably of the ginger paste in a glass um, put in a little bit of water. Actually, a little salt helps too. Um, and then, but try to keep the liquid as as le- a, a, a small amount so you can do it like a shot because it's pretty potent. I mean, raw ginger's got a pretty potent taste. Uh, it's, it's spicy actually. So that is really powerful for nausea. So you may want to try that. I have seen some products on the market, ginger drops, and they are pure ginger. And they're, they, they have some sugar, which I wouldn't worry about here. Um, that may be easier for a child than trying to do the raw ginger shot. Depends on the child. Um, there are also some devices. You may want to go to Amazon and just type in motion uh, sickness devices. And they use acupressure. There's some that will go on your wrist like a watch. Um, there's a couple things like that. They work. Now, I can't promise you every product so on the market that claims to. That's not I've always looked at those. And- no, I can tell you the concept works, you, but I can't promise every product on the market works. You're just going to have to read reviews and that kind of thing. But the, the, the concept of these motion sickness devices work and what they're using um, is basically acupressure to block that signal. There's another device on the market right now for people who have... Um, Oh, I just drew a blank. When you've got a screwed up back and it sends pain all the way down a leg. Um, I can't remember the name for it. But there is a device now that you strap around your calf and it's got a bump and that bump presses hard. You kind of tighten it down and that bump pushes on a nerve on the back of your leg and it blocks that pain signal instantly. And it works. It's not snake oil. It's the same thing here. Acupuncture, 
uses the same concepts, but they actually stick a really thin needle into the nerve. But pressure on that nerve can do the same thing. Okay. And has have you ever read anything? What What is the root cause of this? I mean, my wife gets it real bad, too. So one of the things that will make it worse for a lot of people. I, yeah, I don't either. I, I've been... Um, I've been out on fishing charters. I, I was out on one. Normally, when I would do a fishing charter, I would just charter the boat myself, and you're out there with the captain. And um, But once out of the blue, I took the kids on a big fishing charter that had like 60 people on the boat. Um, 58 of them got sick and threw up. I was one of the two that didn't. It was one of the roughest days out there I've ever seen. And it was just ugly. Everybody was sick. Uh, I didn't get sick. So I, I am. So I have this weird nausea issue I have to deal with from the scarring, but I've never been really susceptible to any kind of motion um, related. It, it, it's a mismatch of, it, it's a movement that your brain can't process properly. And then it, it causes the, the nauseous feeling. For a lot of people, if they try to read while they're in the car, it's even worse. So for some people, they've learned tricks like if they can stare at the horizon, it will make it better. So I've heard of tricks, but it ha- it's a visual thing that, that causes it. Okay, and that, is there any way to, uh, in terms of like what you do with your stress, is there any way to maybe exercise something i mean obviously he's a young kid so i'm not going to be able to probably yeah, explain these concepts to him correct there, that, is there any kind of exercise to ease the it, ease the future for him yeah like i've said it's this it's this visual trick that some people have come up with but your struggle here with the five-year-old is trying to explain to him that he should try different things to see if he gets any relief okay All right. Well, that's all I had. I think uh, I think this call was definitely worth what I paid for, so I appreciate it. Excellent. All right. Thanks for the call. All right. We're uh, we're going to take the last one here. Justin, welcome. All right. I got a hold of Polaris Labs, and the way he explained it to me was the newer engines run hotter, which causes higher level of oxidation, and the o- higher oxidation increases the viscosity got it so basically it's finding back and forth with the fuel dilution perfect and i saw the oxidation there and i thought for a second it didn't seem high enough to me to cause oil thickening but i believe them that is true we do know that oxidation can cause the oil to thicken i didn't think that number was high enough so um thank you because now i learned something today too (laughs) but he said that the uh Fuel dilution is a true number, and uh, so I need to get it back in the shop. Yep. So that, that, like I said, if he gave you an answer that when I heard it, it was logical and makes sense, then we're done. We're done. He gave you an answer that makes total sense. All right. Thanks for the the call back. Yeah, that was excellent. Thanks. All right. We're going to wrap this up. Uh, I will see you back here on Tuesday. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.